This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. It's episode 342 of the Craft Beer and Brewing podcast. And for this episode, it's the anniversary of our what, episode 286, which was our West Coast IPA panel. And to celebrate the anniversary, the one year anniversary of that episode, I don't know why we're celebrating a one year episode <laughs> anniversary. That seems a little uh, egregious, but I mean, this is the beer world, right? We have to turn everything into a special event. And so we'll turn this one into a, a special event too. And no, no. Anyway, for this episode, we're going to talk about Hazy IPA. We've put a panel together with the crew you know, plus a new face and voice for this episode, um, talking all about Hazy IPA. Joining me again, Kelsey uh, McNair from North Park. Welcome back to the podcast, Kelsey. Thank you, Jamie. Happy to be here. We've got Evan Price back uh, to talk about Hazy IPA this time again. Welcome back, Evan. Pally, hey, it's me. <laughs> I guess that's what I sound like. I don't know. Never mind. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Joining us uh, new to the podcast and new to this episode, uh, Steve Parker from Fidens. It is Fidens, right? It is Fidens. Okay, I, I pronounce it that way, and people sometimes correct me incorrectly. Nope. Okay, perfect. You are correct. Steve Parker from Fidens in uh, what Albany, Greater Albany area, New York. Yes. Yes. Uh, well-reputed hazy IPA beer. We're, I mean, if we're going to talk about hazy IPA, we have to have an East Coast representative. And so, uh, so there you are. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm the only one. <laughs> it's, it's like us having conversations about German lager brewing with a bunch of American brewers, right? Like, you know, this is the, yeah. this is the circumstance we're in. Beer is global. Um, we're all making it, uh, and our interest is talking to, um, not just, uh, you know, single conversations that define everything, but having lots and lots of conversations with lots of talented brewers across the entire spectrum, West coast, East coast, and whoever's making it well, I have great hazy IPA in Mexico. Um, you know, and so, uh, these days you can find, uh, we've had really high scoring hazy IPA from Canada, uh, Europe. I mean, and, and so this is a global phenomenon. It's not just a uh, regional thing anymore. Um, before we get too deep in this, let me mention we've tapped into a special co-host also for this episode um, because it just wouldn't be the same. And so joining us to co-host this episode, maybe not the biggest hazy IPA maker in the country, but certainly someone who knows his way around an IPA or two, uh, Vinny Chalurzo. Welcome again back, Vinny. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for asking me to co-host. I really appreciate it. So You know, it's I was thinking about this um, at Russian River Hazy IPA, which is pretty much one beer we make, Mind Circus, is about 2%, just under 2% of our production volume. So it's not a huge amount. It never has been. It's never been more than that. But uh, I kind of feel like I can learn something from these guys. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to hearing the three of these guys talk. And it's my first time uh, tasting the Fiden beers, and they're really great. I started drinking the beers the other night. And, um, save the hazy ones for now. So thank you for the shipment. Yeah, not, not a problem. Well, we had to bring, had to bring you on to co-host this one, Vinny, for two reasons. Number one, no one's going to lie to you or be cagey. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, you are, you, you are the Oracle of truth. 
um, that has the ability to pull these truths out of everyone. Um, and the other reason is because this way Evan couldn't cancel. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to drop that again. It's so good. I, you know, I had to do it because this episode, we were originally scheduled to record this. I wasn't going to tell this story, but now because you, you want me to, Evan, I got to tell the story. Yeah. The genesis of all this, well, let's go back. The, the genesis of it was homebrew con, right? We were, uh, we were all pouring beer at the, oh, yeah. the welcome fest for homebrew con. Um, Joe Stang and I were pouring the Brewers Retreat beers that we made at the Brewers Retreat at Russian River on be- pouring on behalf of Russian River. And right next to us was Kelsey, and right next to Kelsey was Evan, or maybe it was vice versa. Anyway, after we pour beer for all the, the thirsty folks at uh, HomebrewCon, Evan pops this idea out to us, like, we should do a hazy IPA panel. And we're like, okay, let's do that. And then, uh, you know, some text happened. It's like, well, let's, let's record it in person at GABF. And then the day before it was supposed to happen, the text came. Like, what if we don't do it here at GABF? <laughs> and I, I was, got so much FOMO about this whole idea that I – I mean, I did a less than 24-hour trip to Denver on that one. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to spend three hours locked in a room for a podcast. And there's just so many people I'm going to try to like quickly see. And all I could dream about were just leaders of Bierstadt Lager – um, and maybe, okay, so maybe next time we just plan on podcasting a beer shot and then use a little QR code thingy, continue to get slow pour over and over. Uh, I think we could make it some, make it work somehow. I will take that under consideration. Not, anyway, we, we bailed on the live recording. Um, but the, the upside of that is that we were able to bring Vinny in for this conversation, um, as a co-host and, uh, also to, uh, pay homage to our history. We are going to talk about hazy IPA in this episode. We're going to to get in deep on it. Before we do, at GD Chillers, they always strive to build great chillers. Partner with them as you build great beer. Andy Joint to Big Grove Brewery says we've been using GD Chillers from the beginning, from our original three and a half barrel pub system to our production brewery. We've been able to rely on GD to provide a high quality chiller, help us with design and layout, and provide support wherever you need it. And quote, choose GD chillers on your next expansion or brewery startup and receive one free year of remote control monitoring on your next GD chiller. And Turnkey Brewery Systems production line design services retro fitting processing systems. ProBrew can do all of this and more with any brewery, old or new, small or large. With an expansive list of breweries already served, their engineering team prides itself on providing a true turnkey solution built for your entire production line that can be easily customized to fit your operation. For more information, fill out their contact form at www.probrew.com or email contact us at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. ProBrew, brew your beer. Also, you may have heard of Old Orchard, but have you heard of their newest flavors? Berry Blend, Blood Orange, Lemonade, and Tart Cherry are the latest additions to their lineup of flavored craft juice concentrate blends. Old Orchard's R&D team can also formulate custom blends unique to your needs. To learn more and request your free samples, head on over to oldorchard.com slash brewer. Where should we get the discussion started? Um, maybe we start really quickly. Hayes IPA, big thing? Still selling a lot of it? Still a, a driving, motivating factor for breweries. And I mean, you know, we heard West Coast is dead and then all of a sudden people started drinking West Coast IPA uh, again. Um, you know, uh, how's the balance now fit for you guys? Uh, for North Park, uh, we're definitely still selling a ton of hazy IPA. Uh, it 
is uh, our single uh, Hazy IPA, Art is Hard, which is uh, sort of a, a flagship uh, in that category for us. Um, if you factored in the that we make a lot of variants of that beer, um, we, we do a bunch of different triple dry hopped versions that have like some added hops. If you amalgamated all of the different uh, versions that we would do over the course of the year, that, that would take the number one seat uh, in our tap room. Um, it's not quite as popular in package compared to any of the double or triple or even quadruple, uh, hazy IPAs that we might release, um, in package, but those beers are like way more popular in package versus, uh, draft on site. Interesting. How about you, Evan? Yeah. I mean, we still sell a lot of hazy IPA. Um, we, I want to say from like, you know, percentage wise, it's probably still 25 to 30% of sales for us, something like that. And yeah, I mean, we're releasing these beers probably anywhere from anywhere from uh, every week to every two weeks. And so we don't make as we don't make as much as um we make more West Coast IPA is what I should say at this point than we do Hazy IPA. But that flipped at a certain point for us where we were definitely very strong on Hazy IPAs. And then I don't know if people just stopped drinking less boozy beers, but, you know, we were just going to town with triple IPAs and double IPAs there for a moment. And those slowed down a little bit for us. Um, other than today's release, we're doing this you know, double dry hop hazy triple IPA with Omnipoyo and Fidens and uh, so many other and a few other breweries that are on this thing. And yeah, that thing's flying off the shelf. But uh, I digress. Uh, what I mean, but Steve, I feel like hazy IPA has got to be your bread and butter. It is 100% our, our bread and butter. We do anywhere from probably 90 to 105 barrels a week. And I would say uh, almost all of it's hazy Damn. Uh, for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we do like Jasper is like our, our number one seller. Um, we do about 60 barrels of Jasper a month. Uh, Eugene's Axe is about 45 barrels a month. And then there's another 15 barrels of Jas- a Jasper variant. Uh, there's Jasper Nelson or Peacherine. Uh, we just did like a double dry hop Jasper that dropped today. And it sells. I mean, it's uh, between the tap room. Now that we have the tap room factor, which we didn't have for the first almost four years, uh, everything before that was we had to go, we opened up our door, people would come and just buy cans out of our uh, brewery. Uh, you know, now we have that draft option, which helps move things a lot uh, faster. Draft, hazy IPA on draft is still our number one, double is still our number one seller. Uh, followed by lager is two. But, uh, you know, we hazy definitely is our bread and butter for sure. I should note out there for craft beer and brewing subscribers who are listening, or even those who are not yet craft beer and brewing subscribers, that uh, Steve a few years ago provided a homebrew scaled recipe for Jasper, their uh, hazy double IPA. And if you're a subscriber, you can access that recipe on beerandbrewing.com. Okay, shameless plug off. Um, but you're all, everyone's a subscriber, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, uh, if you're listening to this, right, you should right. be a subscriber, right? Um, yes. You know, Vinny, you mentioned 2% for uh, for you yeah. all. Yeah, we're we're just a little, little small hazy IPA brewery that West Coast <laughs> IPA never died 
for us. So I, I truly am. I, I said it earlier. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing, you know, what what you guys do, what makes your beers different. Um, you know, I I know a little bit more about Evan and Kelsey's beers, but uh, Jamie, would you want to maybe start at the top with like the grain bill? You know, I was thinking water. You know, I think maybe okay. yeah. maybe on this one, um, you know, because yeah. because when we're talking about hazy IPA, I mean, water is always an important subject in brewing, yeah. but mm-hmm. it's an extra important subject and a real game changer, uh, in particularly in this style, and probably doesn't get talked about enough in the nuances of that. So uh, maybe we'll start with you, Steve, since you're the new guy. Sure. Um, uh, when, it, when you're thinking about hazy IPA, you know, hazy, hazy single IPA, hazy double IPA, where do you start yep. building water profile for those? Um, I, right now, it was a lot different than when I first started. Uh, water profile, I think when this, this whole thing kind of jumped off out here in the early, like 2010, 11, uh, everybody was calcium, you know, a bunch of calcium chloride, as much as you could put in the water. Uh, I, I've changed drastically with that. Um, I kind of aim for soft water. Um, for me, it's kind of soft water, soft beer. Uh, we always want our beer to be approachable and drinkable. And, uh, so we've cut back on our, our salts and our water profile. We have pretty soft water at the brewery. So, I mean, our typical range is, uh, depending is usually like 125, of calcium chloride to about 70, 75 sulfate ratio. And uh, we always keep our total hardness below 350 uh, PPM always. And uh, that's, that's just kind of how we, I've been doing it. And I've really liked the, uh, the uh, outcome. How about your pH, your water pH? Cause that can really drive some of the haze yep. stability. Yep. I was, uh, you know, what I yeah. know and doing a little bit of research with uh, some actual non-hazy IPA brewers asking them, some German brewers, uh, you know, fights and type stuff. Is curious where mm-hmm. you're at and the other uh, two on the panel here. So for our pH, our mash pH, we are pretty, I mean, I'm I'm on our brewers. Uh, I'm pretty crazy about pH. Uh, we got to hit our, our pH is throughout the whole process. We take pH throughout the whole process. We are like five two to five two five in the in, in the mash boil kettle. We will adjust. So after I add my whirlpool hops, we'll adjust. We're usually around after the whirlpool hops. We add around five two. We'll adjust to with lactic acid down to five for our knockout pH, and then we always check our pre dry hot pH. Uh, usually, it's got to be around four in, in the four threes. Uh, if it's if it's over four three, we'll knock it down with some phosphoric, down around that four anywhere between four three four three nine. Uh, that's kind of where we live. Evan, how about you? Uh, I echo a lot of things that he just said, um, <clears throat> uh, especially for pH. Other than finished beer pH, I prefer it personally higher. Um, we're ending around four seven for these beers and um you're gonna get us all in trouble <laughs> FDA. Don't tell Look out. food safety don't tell anyone <laughs> uh and <laughs> jamie that i like uh, one of the last podcasts like somebody was like yeah i illegally got this uh negra Badella recipe and you're like oh cool yeah we won't tell anybody <laughs> and it's like <laughs> you know, here we are on this podcast anyway um yeah so i echo a lot of things uh there i, I we're 
you know, along the on the brew house, same numbers. Uh, we're also using lactic acid in these beers to adjust pH on the hot side. And then we are, for salts, we're a 6 to 1 ratio of chloride to sulfate. So uh, there's a certain amount of sulfate that's going to be in our California water and uh, building that up in order to get enough chloride to balance things out. And um, I could tell you some exact numbers here that I have in front of me. And we're about 300 parts per million on chloride and 50 on sulfate. I didn't write down the rest for some reason, but at least I have that as my notes. And yeah, I think a normal type of thing that we're going to do for every beer where we are making sure that uh, the carbon filter that we're using for this is sized correctly so that we don't have any chlorine and we end up with good tasting water on its own. But yeah, the, the, the constant monitoring of pH throughout the entire brewing process is yeah echoed with this beer style along with every other. Um, yeah, I mean, no surprise. Uh, we're, we're kind of in a, a similar place. Uh, just looking at our water, um, from, it's always interesting cause we certainly brew a lot of collabs and I feel like that's one thing that it's either not a part of the conversation or it ends up being a huge part of the conversation when it comes to brewing hazy IPAs and, and some brewers that we've talked to really push that chloride envelope to a place that, um, I, I don't prefer it, uh, when it's super high, but um, you know, we're, we're pretty close to where you are, Evan. Um, you know, our chloride level, uh, target is 175, um, sulfate at 75 and, uh, 125 calcium. And we're getting there. Uh, everything's coming out of an RO filter for us. Um, and you know, that water is about 40 PPM, uh, as it reads off of the membrane, um, and if we weren't doing that, the water in San Diego is just so inconsistent because it's coming from multiple water sources and it's changing day to day, you know, not even month to month or seasonally. It's just up and down and all over the place. I get a water report emailed to me from, um, the, uh, local effluent. And if, if you were trying to, you know, make adjustments based on that report, you know, lay it out on a graph month over month. You, you just don't know. Um, but then uh, getting back to our process, um, we typically target around a 5.4 uh, pH uh, in the mash. Um, and uh, for most of our hazy IPAs, we're you know, making an end of uh, boil adjustment coming out of the kettle at 5.0. Um, but again, through some collabs and, and some collabs with some very notable uh, hazy IPA brewers, um, that we've done, they, they always want to push up, 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 you know, I'm, I'm seeing like, let's come out of the kettle at five, two, five, two, five. Uh, let's get that pH, you know, in in the finishing spot closer to like 4.9. Um, and I'd say ours <laughs> tend to finish at like four, six, five, four, seven, um, you know, upward of four, 4.75. Uh, yeah. So, um, that's our approach. You, you said a finishing pH of four, nine. Yep. Woo. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you already have a high pH and then, you know, you've got a lot of dry hops, 
Uh, yeah, we talked about exactly. this in the West Coast. It's you know the pH is just going to drive up if you're not making any adjustments. Steve, you you had mentioned Steve that uh, early on you used a lot more chloride. What what made you uh, bring that quantity down aside from hopefully saving your stainless steel the stress of all the chloride? I noticed with the higher chloride, I was getting more hot burn, hot bite on our beers. And so the, as, as I lowered it, I found that I could aggressively hop these beers because we hop pretty aggressively and I didn't get that bite. I mean, it was like we turned beers around pretty quickly, 14 to 16 days, and I would drink them day of canning and they'd be just, there'd be no bite at all. They'd be smooth. So that's kind of why it, it, that, that was the driving force for that change. I love that, dude. That's such a, uh, yeah, what a cool move on your part to uh, not only realize that, but then also make that change uh, and to see something come out better on the other side. Like, yeah, you know, there's just so, there's so many things that happen in our industry where everyone is talking about this certain procedure or ingredient or whatever else. And a lot of times you have to think outside of the box a little bit with these, all these different variables. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I love that comment. I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious about this, <laughs> uh, this PA que- or P, uh, pH question. Um, from a sensorial perspective, you know, four, six, four, seven, four, eight, four, nine, you know, as you know, Kelsey, you, you mentioned brewing some of these and other collaborators wanting to push these, what do you get sensorially from these, you know, these pH levels that, uh, you know, that creep up like that? Um, it's interesting. I do think there's I imagine a rich... it's, all, it's all about hop you know, expression, right? I mean, it is, it is for sure. I, I think that when we're, you know, ending up on the lower zone, uh, you know, where we tend to, to land with most of our beers, we get this really nice expression of citrus, you know, that we're pulling out of the hops. And there's almost like a, a richness and a more fullness to the body that you're perceiving when that pH starts to creep up and up. Um, and that's really kind of the differentiation point that I'm finding is that these, these beers just drink a bit fuller when that pH is on the upper end of the spectrum. Um, but, at, you know, it's a trade-off because we are losing a little bit of that acidic element. I mean, you know, we're talking about you know, logarithmic scale. So it's so much more, uh, you know, toward basic than it is acidic at that point, um, by going that much higher. And, you know, I've got text messages from brewers where they're like, Oh, I just checked the pH on this other brewer's beer and check this out. Their hazy IPA is like North of five. And I'm like, what, (laughs) what the heck is going on? You know, it's just, it's, it's crazy. It's like, it's, it's higher than I would come out of the kettle (laughs) after all the dry hopping. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, but then, you know, I'll, I'll kind of see like what the overall consumer perception is of that beer by jumping on untapped or something and and they freaking love it. And I'm like, wow, okay. You know? And, and so, uh, but for my palate and the way that we're designing our beers, you know, I, I tend to favor that, you know, kind of four, six, four, seven zone. I think, I think our beers drink really uh, a bit more crisp, a bit more refreshing, um, you know, when we're in that, in that spot. 
four seven sounded like such a scoff law when we started this conversation, Vinny. <laughs> and now he seems yeah. like such a law abiding citizen. <laughs> it's well, still it's still over the uh, legal limit for the FDA. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It is. Um, let's uh, let's change gears and talk about grain because I think that's a great place to go. Before we do that, streamline your efficiency with Omega Yeast's Diacetyl Knockout Series. The DKO Series is comprised of eight familiar yeast strains engineered to knock out the formation of diacetyl before it starts. The strains you know now better. Available now for made-to-order pitchables at any volume. Contact Omega Yeast today at omegayeast.com. Also, ABS Commercial has been a full-service brewery outfitter for over 10 years. They're proud to offer brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and preventative maintenance parts to brewers across the country, as well as equipment for distilling, cider making, wine making, and more. They know the ins and outs of brewing and installation process and can design the perfect setup for you, whether you're just starting out or looking to expand. Contact them today at sales at abs-commercial.com to discuss your customized brewery needs. ABS Commercial, we are brewers. And are you planning a brewery considering the purchase of an existing brewery, or are you working in the industry and kicking around the idea of realizing your own brewery vision? If any of these apply, go to breweryworkshop.com right now. Check out our upcoming Brewery Accelerator, March 24th through 27th in Austin, Texas. Some of our favorite award-winning brewers are joining us to help share the knowledge you need, like Marcus Baskerville of Weathered Souls and Joe Morfeld of Pint House. This will be the only Brewery Accelerator event in 2024, so don't wait. Secure your spot now at breweryworkshop.com. Uh, let's talk about grain. Vinny, uh, where should we start talking about that? You know, obviously, things like oats and wheat are critical here, but um, I'm curious, you know, we've heard over the last year or two on your on the podcast here, lots of West Coast IPAs are moving towards Pilsner uh, base malt. Um, is that something all three of you are doing, uh, for your hazy IPAs all the way across the board, or do you maybe mix it up with some like two row versus Pilsner malt? And if it's Pilsner malt, is it uh, foreign or domestic domestic meaning North America? Yeah, I'm, I'm super into this very pale hazy IPA personally. So we're doing our best to make the white ale of hazy IPA where we are using, we're using Gambrinus Pilsner malt for these beers, uh, which, which is, which is really pills. light in color. Yeah. One of the lightest colored yeah. Pilsner malts I can get my hands on. Uh, I want to say that's Canadian yep. off the top of my head. Yep. And then we've got, uh, we've got flaked wheat and we've got flaked oats and those are the, Oh wait, sorry. Uh, Unmalted wheat, not uh, not flaked wheat. So we have unmalted wheat, and uh, we have flaked wheat or uh, flaked oats. Man, I'm really throwing that out there. But uh, so, sixty percent Pilsner malt, thirty percent unmalted wheat, ten percent oats, and then that uh, ends up making most of our hazy IPAs across the board. And then all we're doing from there is uh, using. Uh, Belgian candy sugar uh, to bring up. Well, let's see. On the hot side, there is some additions of depending on the ABV. Where we we will do start off with a, a little bit of um, Brewers crystals that uh, to bump up uh, gravity, and then um, 
Yeah, and then we're using some Belgian candy sugar in the fermenter. That's a pretty high uh, load of, of adjuncts, um, maybe much higher than a lot of other brewers that I've talked to over the past year or two. Why why put your brew staff through uh, through that kind of challenge? What do you, you know, and I imagine you've probably tested less too. What is it about, uh, you know, that kind of, you know, 40% adjunct level that, uh, uh, or non-barley, you know, grain level that, you know, what does that add to the beer, um, you know, whether that's texture, whether that's some flavor, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I think the majority of the texture is honestly hop related um, in this in this beer style. And, but I'm going to do my best in all other areas to boost that up as much as possible. And so the on the grain side of things, you know, there is absolutely an impact that you can have. But, um, yeah, I think that that's where the, the oats are really helpful. I mean, the unmalted wheat I'm in love with for how pale in color it is as well as helpful stable haze we use bioglucanase in these mashes in order to not have uh, a sticky or long runoff and so that that's the the saving grace for the brewers right there the moment we learned that trick we uh i slept a little bit easier at night for sure because we had a we definitely had some hard days there for a moment but yeah, so that ends up being really helpful, but I think the uh, the mix of these just produces a beer that is full, rich, and then also very pale uh, with this milky white haze to it that uh, I really appreciate. Did you did you get uh, better extract when you started adding the enzyme to like? Yeah, more, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we got a we got a runoff that was faster that was almost identical to our normal barley runoff and so in some you know in our in our other beers and then yeah i don't think i mean our our efficiency on these beers are not great because the starting play-doh is so high i want to say for our single hazy ipa it's a 17 play-doh starting gravity because we are looking for some good a good amount of finishing gravity to keep the body on these beers rich enough and with that mid palate sweetness. Kelsey, let's talk about, uh, you know, your, your kind of approach to grain. Sure. Um, kind of our base point recipe, uh, and this, this does drift around, but I'll just kind of lay down the foundation and kind of talk about some of the differences. Um, so for like a hazy single IPA um, or even a double IPA, uh, we're usually around for a house recipe, uh, 60% um, pills. And we like Brees. Um, and for the reason that Evan said, um, I feel like the West Coast hazy IPA is most assuredly trying to be very milky white pale. Um, you know, I, I see a lot of the New England style uh, IPA um, you know, getting more into the orange, uh, color zone. And I'm trying to highlight hops here as much as I can. And I'm not looking for a whole lot of supporting, you know, malt flavor. So I, you know, I tend to, to really focus on the pills as the base. Um, I like faucet malted oats, um, for our adjunct of choice. Um, they do come with the husk unlike, you know, crisp is a dehusked malted oat. Uh, the color value on that is also very low. Um, 
And it certainly makes laudering, you know, very nice and easy because the husks are massive. Um, and then, uh, you know, this was a trick that, uh, learned from Steve, um, uh, through early collabs, uh, uh, we use best chip malt. Um, and that was kind of the first conversation I had with Steve about brewing, uh, collab, um, was man, Steve, how the heck do you get that really kind of rich pillowy mouthfeel? Um, you know, and, and I'll, I'll let, I'll let Steve talk more about that when, when it's his turn. Um, but that kind of, when we brewed with that once I said, okay, this is kind of a fold in for like all of our hazy IPAs. It's, it's such a hat trick. Like it's, it's awesome. Um, and, uh, it just drinks differently than say, you know, any, any other dextrin malt that I've tried. So I really enjoy that, um, in the, in the recipe. Um, we also like Evan use, uh, brewer's crystals, um, because it doesn't add any color and, you know, uh, doesn't add something that's totally hundred uh, percent fermentable. Um, you know, we're just trying to get that beer so pale, uh, and for like a hazy single IPA, you know, we're typically around 16, six Play-Doh. Um, our double IPA will take up to 20. Um, and, uh, you know, those are, those are all the fermentables happening on the hot, you know, hot side. Um, but then when we go to, uh, you know, anything that's a triple IPA, quadruple IPA, we even did a quintuple IPA this year, uh, just for fun for our anniversary. Um, when we go north of 20 Plato, we were finding that, because uh, we like to harvest yeast, and I know we'll talk about yeast later, so I, I won't go too deep into it, but we found that the vi vitality viability drift was, uh, and, and the finishing gravity was so inconsistent, uh, when we would go north of 20 Plato that, um, you know, I introduced, uh, you know, Belgian technique of, uh, feeding the fermentation. Um, and, uh, we use Belgian candy sugar syrup, uh, for the triples, quads and et cetera. Um, and we do those doses when we're adding the dry hops, um, you know, so that we're scrubbing the, uh, the O2 at, at this, you know, at the same time, it's just convenient to do that all in one step. Um, and then, uh, you know, to just kind of elaborate bioglucanase. Yeah, absolutely. That stuff's amazing. So we, we use that too. We've been using that for a long time. Um, and you know, sometimes when we do collabs or, um, just want to, you know, get a little bit more like deep, you know, more, more complexity within some of these grains, you know, uh, sometimes we'll use some faucet wheat malt. Sometimes we'll use flaked, you know, some flaked oats, raw or flaked wheat. Um, and when we do that, we're kind of cutting away at the base. Um, you know, and obviously when you're adding in a lot of that adjunct, it, it is going to be at the expense of some mash efficiency. And we've seen some of those mashes where it's like 40% base, you know, might drop down into the, you know, mid sixties for, you know, efficiency and boy, do my brewers hate graining out, uh, when you've got this soupy, nasty, you know, just oatmeal, that's just, it wants to unload the second you open up the mash ton and, and heck it, it might even be, you know, a bit dangerous if, if they're not paying pretty darn close attention. So, you know, at your own risk, obviously, um, when doing that type of thing, but we do find that there is some element of, uh, viscosity, um, you know, kind of fluffiness that you get when you really start pushing heavy, heavy, heavy on the oat and the wheat, uh, in a, and a variety of them. 
Um, those beers are very enjoyable, but yeah, they are a pain in the butt to make. I got one more question, Kelsey, on the base malt. I remember from our West Coast IPA panel last year, you were talking about, if I remember correctly, the Wireman, the Extra Pale Premium Pills, if yep. I remember. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. And then and then you just mentioned uh, Brees Pills here. Why the, the change and is the color like similarly light for the Brees? It's been a while it, since I've used the Brees, but I remember it being light, but I, I just can't remember. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, on the spec sheet, it's like 1.2. So it, it is the lightest colored colored one I've found. And that was the reason that I tried it in the first place and um, just kind of stuck with it. Um, you know, like I said, not looking for malt flavor, just looking for a foundation. And in the interest of trying to get that color as low as possible, um, you know, if I could find a, a lighter colored base malt, I would give it a try. Um, just because, you know, and that was the other thing, like, um, the faucet wheat malt was the lowest colored wheat malt I could find. It's a little hard to get though, because not all of the BS or, uh, I'm sorry, um, country malt group, uh, warehouses stock it. So it's a special order item for us. Um, but yeah, it, um, that's, that's the reason, um, I like the results and, and didn't really find a reason to, to shift yeah, the price point too. Um, is obviously better than the extra pale pills from, from Vireman without sacrificing quality in the beer. All right, Steve, tell us more about this chip malt, uh, that, uh, Kelsey stole your thunder on. No, it's, uh, well, yeah, I can, I guess I'll start with my base. Uh, I'm on the opposite end. Uh, we use two row for all of our, all of our beers, uh, rar, rar two row. Why? I've st- I, I, I like it. We've done Pilsner. Um, We've done. I've brewed Jasper with Pilsner and Jasper with Two Row, and I enjoy the Two Row better. I, I, I think we still achieve that color because uh, today everybody drinks with their eyes first. I also think a lot of the color depends on the hops that you are using as well. Um, for us, at least, uh, and I don't mind that little malt sweetness in the beer. Um, I think it gives a little bit of that juice kind of aspect. Uh, with that aggressive hopping and kind of also with the aggressive hopping, I think that little bit of sweetness helps balance it and uh, kind of gives you that full aspect of drinking the beer. Uh, so that's kind of, we've, we've, our, our brewers and I have sensory Pilsner beers and two row beers. And just for us, our personal preference for what we do, we stick with two row. And then uh, we're only, we're about 75% two row uh, in our base uh, 20% oats, flaked oats, and then 5% chit. Uh, the chit malt was just something I stole from, uh, the Scott Janus, uh, book <laughs> back in the day. And, uh, I didn't use it at first. And then when we started using it, we noticed mouthfeel was better. Uh, and it, we just been using it ever, ever since. And it's just been great. Love that chit malt idea. <laughs> yeah evan's taking notes no, it, yeah <laughs> i got my no, pen out you know i'm here to learn too no, uh, what, what yeah, do you what do you great. find the difference between chit and say uh a dextrin, dextrin. you know carapils from Brees or you know any number of malt companies bsg you know rar has dextrin and a european companies um i couldn't really tell you it's yeah. just we've used it and it's just I, i've liked it and um, I want to say something in the IPA book talked about how it can help with beer st- stability that Scott 
found out and, and his stuff. So that's kind of why we stuck with it. Don't quote me on that, but uh, yeah. we just uh, we've used uh, we've been using it for pretty much. We started using it about six, seven months into opening the uh, brewery, and we haven't we haven't stopped. So who's your Who's your vendor for the chit malt? We've used it before. I can't uh, remember who makes it though. Uh, country malt, uh, best. 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 Okay, malt. that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, that one has a much lower extract than most of the dextrin malts. It's like twenty seven points per pound per gallon. Whoa. Um, whereas I think most of the other dextrin malts are like thirty two to thirty four. Um, and I, I think there was something in, you know, I'm, I'm pulling this out of the back of my head. So I, it, I, what I've, what I remember reading was that there's some thiol precursors in that malt, um, that might make their way through that could also contribute some interesting flavor characteristics downstream. Steve, have you ever made a beer without the chit malt and then like done a side by side. And then also was the foam different there? Cause it, I know foam, chit malt foam was different. Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. That, that was a big thing. Uh, we weren't getting the, the foam wasn't as nice without the chit malt. I mean, we have made beers just strictly two row and I've loved them and they tasted great. And, but once we started out of the uh, chip malt, the foam was drastically better. All right. So you should see a 10% discount on your next chip malt order since everyone's <laughs> going to be ordering it, Steve. So, it's just like the Wireman so. premium pills after Kelsey uh, gave it a plug uh, last year. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Kelsey, you couldn't even order that anymore, right? <laughs> no. I, I, I went to order it right after the podcast went live and, and our uh, CSR at Ben at, uh, at PSG, he's like, oh, He's like, all the warehouses are, are out of that one. I was like, damn it. <laughs> nice job. You, you kind of stepped on your own toe. I did. Oh, man. <laughs> no. Steve, I'm curious about this. You're, you know, a 20, sure. 25% adjunct. You're, you know, a good 15%, yep. you know, 15 points under someone like Evan. You know, and yet yep. as I'm drinking them side by side here, you know, I wouldn't, you're not giving up any kind of, uh, you know, uh, body or, or, you know, smoothness. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, uh, you know, there's, what's, uh, what do you think is, is, uh, you know, making the difference here? They're both equally hazy. In fact, yours actually might be a little, little like more, uh, murky, you know, than, uh, than Evans in that kind of haze side. Which beer are you drinking? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) fill in the blank. No, that one's not that. Yeah, oh, I should drink something yeah. hazier. Oh, okay, well, okay. that's just you know that's just a lower. That's a single dry hop level. That's not the like you know, the, the big the big daddy levels. You know. All right, let me pour some swim test just so that we can. There you, you, go, know. There you go. I'm just saying. I'm just, just saying. Apples to apples here. You know. All right, dead equivalent. Yeah, I, dead um, equivalent. Okay, there we are. <laughs> oh, I I I, don't, I I think a lot of the color comes from the hops uh, during dry hop. I mean, we will yeah. pull pre pre dry hop samples, um, and they they all look the same. And then like, there's certain hops that I know when I use it, and we've changed our uh, recipes and our our dry hopping because today it's so much about what that beer looks like at first. Uh, people will look at a beer that like his, like Kelsey was saying that's a little more orange. You'll say, oh, it's oxidized, and it's like no. <laughs> it's right. not oxidized. It just sometimes the color, certain hops just don't give you that color. So we've learned that over the what, years. Uh, what hops are your biggest offenders and uh, colors? And we're not going to talk mosaic. about the rest of hops, but yeah. Wait, you're saying color or are you referring to haze? Because like, 
Hayes. Hayes, yeah, I okay. guess Hayes, I would say. Sorry, Absolutely. Hayes. Yeah, different so like, having different levels of haze uh, is something that is frustrating for yes. us brewers yeah. trying to consistently make some, which uh, I'm excited to get into haze conversation at some point. But yeah, sorry. I, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, no, no, there's just some like uh, Mo- mosaic is one that is usually just a hot side one for us most of the time now because that does not give us that haze. Uh, Strata happens to be another one. Simcoe slightly. Simcoe's okay if you pair it with some other ones, but. Uh, I mean, we can get deeper in that in the hop conversation, but uh, that that's uh, – and, and then again, too, with the higher – the 75%, it goes back to um, – to me, like, I, I think sometimes the heavy proteins and going too protein heavy in a grist can sometimes give you hot burn. Uh, a lot of studies talk about how the polyphenols hold on to that protein and it's harder to drop out. Uh, so that's something that we've just kind of stayed away from and that's kind of been since day one, and it's uh, worked for us. Yeah, that, that goes back to the uh, work that John Paul May did at Steiner, and I believe it's the xanthohumule, if I said that correctly, if I'm remembering correctly, but the polyphenol that really is that kind of emulsifying binder, and I can see that. And, and for what it's worth, Steve, I just uh, did a quick uh, chat GPT on the hazy IPA recipe, 26% <laughs> roughly. So. <laughs> oh, for, uh, was it? Oh, all right. All right. Uh, I was just yeah, having a little GPT. fun there. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, well, I mean, if, but if, if you, you know, just to kind of maybe roll into the haze conversation, if you talk to some European brewers that are, you know, making wheat beer, that sort of thing, or maybe, you know, whether it's Belgian or German or whatever. Um, I mean, a lot of them are talking about using less than, than that. And, um, and so, I mean, obviously it works either way uh, because you guys are, all three of you are doing it differently, um, you know, with, with the, or two West Coasters being a little bit higher, but, um, but obviously the, the 25% works just well. And, I, and I've heard others being a lot less also. Yeah, we, we, we go less in some beers. Uh, we do go more in some, but on average, it's right, right around that. So uh, right a right quick uh, yes or no answer. You, don't, you can't give me a long drawn out, Evan, like explanation. <laughs> yes or no. Have you ever had a hazy IPA that you finished that ended up being clear? Yes. Steve? I would say yes. And Kelsey? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) This is, this to me was the hardest thing. I mean, when when we started making a hazy IPA, that was the biggest challenge. I I personally found this to be one of the biggest challenges in my brewing career, you know, because at some point gravity wants to take effect. So how do you get that, those, you know, those really fine proteins to stick and not be these big giant proteins that just want to fall out? So like, Hey, what did, what did you do with that beer? I, I, I think this happens more than we think or want to admit with our peers in the industry. So what did you do with that beer? Um, and, and also, did you figure out what it was? Because like I said, that to me was the biggest problem when trying to figure out this hazy IPA thing. The true challenge. So, Steve, how about you? you want to- oh, me? Uh so for, I think it goes back to that conversation we just had with the certain hops. Um, it was one of the hops that I, I, we have found out that does not 
create that that haze in in a beer, or it does not stay very long. Uh, so that's why I do not use those. And it's just it's just learning um, where to use the hop. I think is the important thing with this style. And so it was a all uh, mo- mosaic beer, and then it dropped. I mean, it wasn't crystal clear, but it wasn't hazy. Right. So I'll counter that, and maybe all three of you um, can chime in. So uh, a German or a Belgian hazy wheat, you know, Belgian wit beer, Belgian Hefeweizen, they don't have hops to lean on. So, and there is that, is there anything, have you guys have thought about that and how maybe, um, you know, they don't have the hop polyphenols to lean on. They have to go in other directions and, and maybe that's a place for us American brewers to learn, you know, or hazy IPA brewers to learn. I mean, I feel like they're looking for a different level of haze than what we're looking for, though. Like, you know, for for you to create something that's this milky and like, I mean, milky is always kind of the term I use whenever I, I refer to the haze level in our beers. But like um, when you're talking about a lot of these beers in, in regards to haze level, um, Hefeweizen absolutely in traditional beer sense has haze to it. But finding that level consistently throughout from bottle to bottle or whatever else, depending on shelf life, you're going to see that haze change, um, at least in my experience. And, you know, um, but in regards to these hazy IPAs, I mean, we're talking about a haze level that was so extreme and so laughable that it became, you know, among brewers everywhere, just like, wait, you're, you're putting that beer out and it looks like that. And you're like, yeah, yeah, that's actually the goal. And they're, and it's just like, uh, I don't, I don't understand. And it's like, a, you know, uh, <laughs> it's such a, obviously a, a craze that happened and everything else, but it was just like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that they, I understand. I totally understand your question, uh, Vinny, but I don't think they relate enough together because, uh, the, Fill in the blank beer as an example that um, Jamie was just pouring. That's wonderfully hazy for a half of bites. And as an example, that's that's hazier than a half of bites. And you would get for the on the on the hazy IPA front. On the other hand, though, I think that that specific beer uh, is a little bit lighter on haze than other examples that we make because um, it's only a single dry hopped beer and. The heavier we're going on these hops, the the more extreme that that haze can become. And 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 so that really is one of the differentiating uh, procedures that you guys uh, use at Green Cheek is like the more dry hops tends to drive that heavier, more milky haze, which is <laughs> yeah. a great term. I, I use that as well. Well, I was gonna yeah. I mean, I just I remember. Let's see. I think it was. In 2016, I tried making my first hazy IPA with our friends at Cellar Maker. And Tim at the time didn't realize, I don't think, or he uh, didn't want to tell me that he was using a haze positive USO5 or Chico strain. And we tried making this, this hazy IPA by using Chico yeast, uh, a different, uh, a normal one, and just making a slurry of a flour slurry and putting it in the the kettle, and 
I mean, we got labels made and everything over this for this beer. This was pre Green Cheek, and it this beer comes out and it's like it's as clear as any IPA we've ever made, and it was just laughable. Uh, I mean, obviously not at the time we were very, really upset, but this long slow process of continuing to like, especially at that time, try to find information in order to figure out how to make the beer the way that we're talking about right now. Uh, a lot of mistakes just like that were made over the years. But I think one of the biggest things for us at our brewery is dry hopping at the correct time is very important with, so that there's activity happening for the yeast. Um, there still needs to be enough uh, of a cell load in there. And I wish I had a specific cell count to, to give, but I don't. And, and then the amount of hops is so important where if both those things don't line up correctly, we end up with a beer that doesn't have the the entire look that the the people that are wanting to drink these beers are looking for. Yeah. And what did you do with that batch that uh, wasn't hazy that fell clear? Unfortunately, not the cellar maker one, but just in general, like we dumped I, it. Like you yeah. know, we couldn't. You know, whenever you have a beer that is a a perfect tweener, where the West Coast, West Coast crowd isn't going to drink it. And then the hazy IPA crowd's not going to drink it. Uh, you just kind of have to count your losses because you're going to have such a tough time trying to pretend to figure out a way to sell that. Um, we've purposely made tweener beers before that we've called soft IPAs. Um, and those have been on purpose. But for the, for the beers that we've tried to make hazy IPAs, and they've dropped clear, like down the tubes. Yeah. I'm curious about this. As, as Vinny was mentioning, like these, you know, larger proteins tend to, you know, precipitate out. Are you all using any mash strategies in particular to try, you know, to um, pull smaller and smaller, you know, hay, uh, you know, protein uh, out of that mash process, which would theoretically, you know, produce more stability in the finished beer? Yes, we, we do not. What'd you say, Kelsey? Uh, we do use uh, Brutan B um, in the mash for these beers, uh, and you know that helps to. It's a chelating uh, agent, it's like uh, oak tannin, um, and it helps coagulate some proteins. Uh, so I, I do think that um, downstream, that's that's helping. I, I introduced that in in these because uh as i was seeing our beer kind of migrate um in cans um and forward thinking uh that particular product is uh supposed to encourage um shelf stability um and when i started using it i was more thinking about our uh barrel aged beer program uh where we were putting imperial stouts in um in spirit barrels uh, and so that was kind of a, a, a mash process that we use there. Um, and then uh, kind of plug that into the hazy IPA program. How about you, Steve? No, we do not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that's it. I, I, mean, that's it. I don't mean, we don't, no, we just do regular mash. No, we don't, yeah. we don't yeah. use anything in the mash for anything. Fair enough. Um, we, uh, yeah. we pasteurize, <laughs> we pasteurize all of our wort. You know, yes, you know do. about pasteurization and haze, though, right? That's it, a it's it's a way to kind of break the protein, and uh, mm -hmm. you can create. 
I think there's a lot of European breweries making like, you know, German wheat beer that are going that route to try to get a permanent haze. And um, I, I know there's American breweries doing it as well. Well, let's, but I know yeah. you guys are all small breweries and you don't have a yeah. pasteurizer just sitting around either. Well, let's shift gears and talk about uh, hot side and, and which is really just Whirlpool, right? Uh, so uh, let's let's switch gears, talk about that. But first, SS Brewtech was founded by a group of home and craft beer brewers dedicated to bringing an engineering first approach to brewery equipment. SS brew houses are used to formulate new beer recipes at some of the world's greatest breweries. I think that refers to a certain guest on uh, on this podcast or a certain co-host on this podcast. And are the cornerstone of many local breweries. To learn more about SS Brewtech's innovation list, head on over to ssbrewtech.com. That's right. With 39, 38, 39 days, Thursdays a year, Vinny, you're brewing on your SS Brewtech yeah, Brewtech. Brew yeah, I did 30, 39 last year on our little five barrel. And, and I'll throw in a plug for Gene D. Chiller, too, at the <laughs> front of the podcast i i love our gnd chiller so they did there you go good, good good company and nice of them to support this amazing podcast well, we appreciate them too and also have you heard of christian hansen they're the fermentation experts with over 100 years of experience in dairy and wine and they're now bringing that knowledge of microbes to brewers with their smart bev range of frozen liquid yeast and freeze-dried bacteria this portfolio allows for consistent performance at the brewery and produces a range of high-quality brews. Reimagine what your beer can be. Go to chr-hansen.com to learn more on the SmartBev line of products. All right, let's talk about uh, let's talk about getting into the hot side there. Uh, you know, are any of you all? Uh, setting up some uh, initial bittering charges or uh, do you just roll right through the boil into Whirlpool before anything fun starts happening? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do like a 10 to 15, 60 minute charge. Uh, and then just go to Whirlpool after that. We Whirlpool at two, two pounds per uh, barrel. Yeah. Evan? Yeah, we, depending on the beer, we have some beers that are some of our bigger beers where we're doing little sprinkle additions throughout to just help build a fullness uh, during the boil. Uh, but 90 whatever percent of the rest of the time, it's a whirlpool only edition and it's a dipped um, cool pool edition as well. And so <clears throat> we're typically bringing that whirlpool down to temperature to 165 degrees after the boil. We are throwing in, we're throwing in hops. I'm, we go pretty light on Whirlpool. We pull most of those hops to the fermenter instead. And so usually depending on whether it's single, double or triple, we're not going to go over a pound per barrel in, uh, in that addition. We, one of the things that we've been having fun with are these like liquid hop concentrates you know so we have like incognito or 702 trial from ych and so there's this fun trick that we learned from our friends at range out of um australia where there's a really small addition of pellets that go in with the 702 trial into the whirlpool so you throw in a pound on our system we have a 20 barrel kit that we're brewing most of our 
hazy IPAs on out of our Costa Mesa brewery. And so we'll throw in one pound of hops. We'll throw in, say, two kilograms of 702 trial. And then the small amount of pellets just helps keep everything in the wort and it doesn't end up sticking on the sides of the kettle. Without that, those just that small amount of pellets, we we're just like me and Kelsey have talked about this a million times and how useless it is to try to throw that stuff in the whirlpool. And so we've been enjoying throwing that in, especially for hazy IPAs, because there's a Roman flavor, so much a Roman flavor that we're able to get out of that instead of, you know, sort of this tactile bitterness that we're not looking for in this style necessarily for the most part. And so that's been really fun. Um, and then there's obviously more additions down the road from there, but since we're only really talking about Whirlpool, that's what we do. Kelsey, what about you, pal? Yep. Uh, yeah, our, our, we're a little limited with our, our kettle. Um, it doesn't have a good diverter system for pellets and typically, uh, we're lucky if we can get away with a little more than one pound uh, per barrel uh, in the Whirlpool. Um, otherwise, we end up having to make a few extra barrels of wort in order to, you know, knock out a, a full tank, um, which which we generally do. But, you know, it, it's we don't try to, you know, our, our brew house is 15 barrels. We're usually making 19 barrels of wort, um, <clears throat> which ends up being a concentrated by a couple barrels so we, we do water back um but uh yeah that's that's kind of our, our hot side process most of the time um and uh yeah we kind of target like steve said somewhere uh around like eight to ten ibu from uh from an early bittering edition but uh to that end um like 21 we got a medal at jbf for art is hard um and that beer actually had no hot side hopping in the kettle at all um everything happened post there was no bittering charge there was no whirlpool um and maybe a segue to the next part of the conversation but you know the the uh concentrated flowable hop products uh technique that i talked about in prior podcasts was uh definitely a key component of that beer at that time um we've since introduced uh a small bettering charge in that beer like 10 10 ibus uh but everything else is happening out of the kettle when we do that at our brewery on the brew sheet it says np dash style uh, whenever we're doing our our incognito or 702 trial edition uh, and then I'd try to draw a picture of you, Kelsey, with the little crown on uh, next to it as well. It, it works out pretty well. The brewers understand immediately. <laughs> what you're going for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so do any of you use um, uh, concentrated pellets like cryo or CGX on the hot side? And do you see, you know, in conjunction with a cool pool, because it sounds like all of you are doing a, some sort of cool pool technique. Uh, do you see an added benefit that that adds a haze positive quality to your beer? Who wants to go first? Well, you I, can I, since, yeah. I'm sure. I mean, we don't focus too much on whirlpool hopping for uh, these beers, honestly. But like um, if we are going to use 
at this point, if we're uh, when we use something like uh, Cryo or CGX or whatever that we are bringing down the load, honestly, because we're concerned about the overall balance of the beer. And uh, on the other hand, like, you know, West Coast IPA, you know, put it in there. We want that bitterness and and everything else. But it, I don't uh, at this point, if we could, I feel like if we could drop that temperature, the world pulled down even lower and didn't feel like we were going to contaminate every, every single beer after that. Uh, we would drop it even lower and try something, but I'm I'm going as low as I can go at this point. Yeah. Hey Kelsey, on the um, the NZ Hop Foo, is that hazy? Does that end up being hazy, or does that end up being clear? No, that's a that's a clear yeah. clear beer. Yeah, because I've heard I've I've seen and and heard from some other brewers that sometimes like some of those New Zealand hops in a cool pool end up um, throwing some haze. We've we've certainly seen it as well um and and just curious but that that one is clear for you yeah it does clear up i mean that one gets you know it gets bio fine we don't have a filter or anything right um, yeah we've also seen like low level uh haze from certain hops for sure and like mm-hmm. west coast ipas or new zealand ipas or whatever or just clear ipas but the it's typically not I mean, I guess in this point in craft beer, even when that haze is slightly um, there for those beers, there's nothing that I'm personally going to do about it to try to change that because people can still look at that and know they are definitely not getting a hazy IPA when, you know, again, it like looks like this. Anything else to hot side or should we um, start talking about the Kelsey method of, uh, of dry hopping? <laughs> and, and P-style. And P-style, right. We're just going to embarrass Kelsey here. And th- I should say this is Vinny's term. This is Vinny's term. It's so uh, easy. It's so easy to embarrass him. It's, it's, oh, it's great. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Let's so, let, move to fermentation. Yeah. Let, let's get into fermentation and dry hopping. Uh, you know, Kelsey, why don't you – it sounds like you use the same process here that you use on West Coast IPAs for your hazy IPAs, or at least a similar process. How does it yeah, vary? Yeah, we do. Um, the dosing rate, you know, when we're talking about flowable concentrated um, hop products that we're knocking out onto a dip hop, um, we typically stick to around uh, one kilogram uh, per turn. You know, and like I said, uh, we're usually kettle full at 19 barrels at knockout and might knock out 17 and a half into the tank. Um, we've gone as high as two kilograms. Um, and some of those beers are awesome, but, you know, expensive. Uh, and so we, we kind of save that for special projects. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's very similar to what I've described before, where we're taking about, you know, three quarters to a full barrel of wort that is sitting at our cool pool temp of about 165 to 170 degrees. We're uh, sending that through the heat X into a tank that already has the flowable preloaded. Um, we'll let that steep for a few moments. Uh, we'll continue to knock out uh, at an adjusted knockout temperature that'll get us to our target pitching temp. Um, and the one thing that you have to keep in mind when you're utilizing this process is you will have a stratified layer of hot wort that's, you know, 
at a temperature that will kill your yeast. So, you know, if you're pitching in the top or something with a fresh pitch um, or otherwise, you absolutely need to um, burp the tank through the cone with some CO2, um, which if you do this for about 30 seconds, and we've trialed this um, when the wort is at the manway door level, so you can actually put your hand on the door and feel uh, that it is, you know, ex exceedingly hot, about 30 seconds of bubbles through the cone, you know, at maybe 20 PSI is enough to uh, cause a homogenization and bringing it to a temperature where the, the tank is, is pretty safe um, <clears throat> to go ahead and pitch. Uh, and, um, we're still getting up to speed with some of this equipment on our end. Um, we're, we haven't been checking our O2 levels in our, uh, our wort stream and knockout. But, um, when I did <clears throat> a brew at the, the propagator with Sam, uh, Firestone, um, we did check the differential between the, uh, O2 levels pre and post this burp that we did through the cone and it wasn't enough to disrupt the amount of dissolved O2 that we wanted in the wort to, to have, you know, happy, healthy yeast. Um, but definitely an important step because, you know, that's a, if, if you're talking a barrel, three quarters of a barrel out of, you know, a 15 barrel tank, you know, whatever you're knocking out, that's, that's a lot of heat that's in a, you know, small, uh, amount of area so but are you, yeah are, that's, you, are you uh, evan and steve are you guys using the uh kelsey flowable high oil technique as well uh no not for our no we um <clears throat> for most of our hazies uh we just use pellets in the uh, whirlpool uh like i said we drop we do two pounds per per barrel um the reason we go that high and we go about 180 on, on our uh, whirlpool uh, I go that high because I'm trying to push as many of those survivable compounds into that tank uh, to to last through fermentation. And I also believe at that point, I mean, we, they talk about biotransformation with the contact of yeast and hops. I mean, if, I can, if I'm pushing that much hops in there, I mean, what better time for my yeast to interact with my hops is at that beginning stage of fermentation. Um, and so... Uh, we knock out. Um, I mean, are we just getting into that, or do you want to get into fermentation stuff? Or are we just? Oh, that's, that's my next question. So if you want to roll in, I'll just throw okay. out. Actually, let's let Evan answer because I'm curious. Because uh, I actually don't know if if Evan uses uh, the high oil extracts in uh, in in the brews. I mean, being that you make a little caricature of Kelsey on the brew logs, I'm pretty sure you do, but. <laughs> Uh, we, we, we use it more for West coast than we do for hazy IPA, honestly, because, uh, we're looking for just enough hop character to do exactly like what, uh, Steve's talking about with the biotransformation to where we can have, you know, a beer that before we dry hop smells like an IPA. Uh, cause I think that when we've tried to do, there's a there's enough breweries I've talked to out there that do a um, hazy IPA where they do no hopping at all in the kettle. They don't even do what Kelsey's talking about, and then they dry hop the beer. And I think those beers uh, just have a hole in the middle, and they don't have that 
biotransformation, for lack of a better term, that you can get via Whirlpool Editions or, you know, Kelsey's technique. And I think that's needed in order for it to to get into the right spot. So I have a question about fermentation temperature. Are you all thinking about this? Like I, you hear a lot now, especially with like West Coast IPAs, oh, I'm going to bring down that primary fermentation temperature, you know, sometimes even using lager yeast, you know, like yeah. Highland Park does um, and, and many others, um, trying to give it a clean slate? Or are you thinking of this as like a warmer fermentation? It's an English yeast often, so maybe it's more estuary and that's going to meld with the hops. What I'm curious uh, where you're all at uh, there. Evan, you take it. Yeah. So for fermentation, we are for single IPA, we're, we're typically knocking out at 66 degrees to ferment at 68 degrees with a free rise to 70, two thirds of the way through fermentation. And then we're harvesting day three or four, depending on uh, activity. And then we're immediately dry hopping. Is that um, different than West Coast IPA? Uh, I think for West Coast, we're like for sure day four. And that that activity that I mentioned earlier is so important to make sure that we have fermentation still happening. You know, it's like, it's like this perfect moment that at least our brewery is waiting for where uh, things fermentation has slowed down just enough to where we can harvest yeast because we need to do that. Otherwise, we would spend incredible amounts of money, um, which I think we already do. But yeah, man, we do. Anyway, um, but for yeah, for, for West Coast, on the other hand, I mean, uh, day, day four, we're not looking for haze and so that's not important. But on the double and triple IPAs, on the other hand, we are fermenting a little bit cooler at 65 degrees and then the highest it gets to 68 degrees. But yeah, I think um, overall we do we do a really low pitch rate on these beers and then a really high oxygen amount. And so, you know, we are a brewery that counts cells um, for all pitches. And so we are pitching these beers at 375,000 cells per milliliter per degree Play-Doh. And so that's over half of the normal pitch rate that you would use in um, a normal ale fermentation. But then we're we're hitting it at like 20, 20 parts per million on O2 at knockout to keep that just absolutely rocking. And so those two things I think um, really help. And then what else should I tell you? I think I so think you're intentionally yeah. stressing and then you're intentionally also aiding and assisting. Yeah. 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 Hey, and our, and our for all a non-brewer, you, you, you brought some good shit, Jamie. I'm like, that was, that was good, dude. Are, are all of your tanks single batch or are they any of them double batches? I was going to nerd. I was totally going to nerd out on that too, but I, I felt like I was talking for too long, Vinny, but yes, they are double batch. Bruise. Do, do you do it and, over two days or fill so the tank in one day? So it's a, uh, yeah, it's two days of brewing for that. And we're actually, and this is where it gets even smaller of a pitch. We're only pitching that amount of yeast for this, for the single first batch. 
and um, and instead of calculating the total amount for both batches. Yeah, that, and that, he's that doing term, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we talked about, Jamie and I talked about this the other day, but that term drowflasm is brewing into one tank over two days is something that we've found that we've learned from some other breweries is like you're stressing the yeast somehow and it's really aiding in haze. And uh, that that has worked for us. So I'm curious, Kelsey and Steve, if you guys are doing Drowf- that. Are, How do you spell this? Drowf- <laughs> drowflasm. <laughs> I don't know how it's spelled. It's just German for brewing over a couple days. Love it. Drauflausen. Yeah. If you, you can Google it on the Craft Beer and Brewing uh, podcast or website, and I think it comes up. That's probably one of the Oxford companion definitions. Exactly. Just, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Garrett. Yeah. Thank you, Garrett Oliver. So, uh, Kelsey, how about you? Yeah. So, most of these beers are a single turn. Um, art is hard. And occasionally if we make, uh, you know, a double batch of a hazy pale ale or another, uh, hazy single IPA, they do get, uh, you know, two turns and those would be over the course of two days. Uh, otherwise our higher gravity stuff. And we tend to repitch, um, our yeast once a week. Uh, and we'll either do that into one or two beers. Um, cause we have 11 tanks. Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, so um, most of the time it's it's just a single. And and are esters an important part to a hazy IPA for you, or are you trying to keep it a cooler fermentation temperature? And then I know you said you don't have a, a wart DO meter, so you wouldn't be able to check this, but it also makes me start thinking if esters are an important part to either well, we, any of you guys or anyone else, like you could take that approach sort of, I mean, to a degree, Evan's doing it, but you, know, the, you hear about it from like, uh, Weizen brewers or Belgian brewers, where they, you know, under pitch and under uh, wart aerate to maybe get more esters, but maybe that's not what you're going for. Yeah, um, we ferment a little warmer uh, than Evan does, uh, and just talking to Evan, we're using the same yeast strain, so we're dealing with uh, with juice uh, from Imperial A38. Oh, we, I'm sure we I'm were going to talk about yeast. Evan. I'm joking. <laughs> um, uh, and I mean, we're definitely on the high end of aeration compared to anything else that we do. So, you know, our cellar run is pretty short. We're knocking out through a, you know, inch and a half hose and, uh, it's, you know, we're running the, you know, at five LPM, um, for a 40 minute knockout at 17 and a half barrels. Um, you know, we'll, we'll bench test that soon. I just got the equipment in this week, uh, you know, to kind of see what that is and dial it in. Our pitching rate is, has been, uh, higher than Evans by twofold. Um, but we've actually been experimenting with bringing that down a little bit, um, for these beers. And we, we don't make too many adjustments for higher gravity, uh, if ever. Um, but we knock out at 64, um, set the, you know, set our set point at 70. Uh, and then when we're about 75% attenuated, we'll let it rise up to 73. Um, and we don't, you know, we don't take the tank down in temperature at any point until we're ready to crash. So there's no soft crash or anything going on. Oh, oh, and you asked about esters, Vinny. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say just considering what I said, like we're on the upper end of the the temperature spectrum there. So I, I think esters are pretty darn important and homogenous with uh, the hop character that we're going for. 
How about you, Steve? Yeah, so we uh, we dock out uh, at 70 and set the tank to 72. Um, I'm also like Evan, uh, we underpitch um, our yeasts. Uh, we're probably around 450,000 uh, cells. Uh, but we also, I don't oxygenate too too heavily. So we, we stress our yeast pretty pretty heavily, uh, which is why I only go about two to three generations and then I cut it and get something new. Um, <clears throat> we got a smaller system, a seven barrel system, but we fill 30 barrel tanks. Uh, so it takes us four turns to do that 30 barrel. So we'll put in three turns with a smaller pitch day one and then come back day two, put the last turn in, but with no oxygen. And then usually when it's time to, I'll harvest a, a ton of yeast out of that 30 barrel and that will last us say a while. And then, uh, after we, we don't dry hop during, uh, active fermentation at all. We, uh, we wait for the beer to completely ferment out, and then we soft crash from 72 down to 65, harvest, and then dry hop. These guys mentioned they use uh, A30A. What are you, you using a similar London L3 kind of variant, Steve? So I do use juice in some beers. Um, our house strain is actually um, – it's actually a, uh, it's a little bit off of Chico. We use uh, A72 from BSI is our house strain. Um I, I wanted to go something a little bit different, and I really like the character that it gives our beer a lot. Um, so that was something that I I found. Uh, actually, I heard it on a podcast um, from a brewer that used it, and I was like, I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that brewer's beer. And I was like, let me try that beer. And I called BSI, and they gave me a sample, and I said, this is it. This is what we're using. I think that's so much, uh, Steve, part of what – we're do what we all do here where you continue to find your own way based off of what your preferences are. And it's just funny whenever somebody comes along is like, Oh yeah, well, you know, not to say that this is what we're doing right now, but in so many situations, yeah. Like what hops are in here, what yeast is in it. And it's like, like, don't you want to find your own way? Don't you want to like be able to, have that journey. I think the journey is important, I guess, is like it's very important in order to then one, uh, have that much more pride in what you're doing, but then also two, um, it's, it's yours. Like hopefully from a standpoint of like, you know, nothing else tastes like this. That's, uh, I couldn't agree more with that. When I uh, first started this journey, I didn't ever want our beer to say that beer tastes like so-and-so's beer. Right. I want them to say that that's a Fidens beer. Absolutely. You know, and they have it, they're like, oh, that's Fidens, you know, and that's something I I really like took a lot of pride in when, you know, making our beer and getting it to where I want it. And, you know, when I, our customers can blindly taste a beer and they'll say Fidens. <laughs> I'm just like, yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, that's what I want. You know, and we'll, because sometimes it's fun. We'll just walk up to people, like, hey, try this beer. We won't tell them what it is. And like, oh, that's Fidens. And I'm just like, okay. That's, that's what I want. Nice, nice. So I, there's, as I'm listening to this, I think there's some interesting tensions at play. You know, obviously there's this Kelsey method of hopping using advanced hop products, you know, right at knockout. 
And, uh, you know, rather than Whirlpool, there are, you know, Steve mentioned not uh, dry hopping during active fermentation. I think most of us know a lot of the, you know, research that Omega has been putting out is that hay stability, um, you know, definitely is carries through better, you know, if you are not dry hopping during active fermentation. Um, you know, and yet at the same time, you know, Evan is also talking about the importance of biotransformation as this, you know, conceptual piece you know, that helps fill the middle of the beers. These things all seem to work in an interesting, like, you know, tension with each other where you are trying to balance the flavor and development versus also the kind of, you know, physical, you know, haze stability in this, you know, um, maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Uh, you know, Evan, do you dry hop during active fermentation? You mentioned biotransformation, but you're trying to accomplish that without also pulling away from this kind of haze stability. And, and Evan, as a follow-up to Jamie's question, um, I mean, you've, you're, you said you're harvesting yeast before you make the dry hop. So you must be far enough along that the yeast has yep. said, I'm going to flock out. Do, yep. you, do you know where you're at um, into, like, you know, what gravity you're at or, you know, attenuation you're at uh, into fermentation that, you know, that, I mean, it's probably pretty far along if it's flocking out already. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like as an example for, say, single IPA, single hazy IPA, you know, if we're finishing at four and a half Play-Doh, we're harvesting a little above five or five two, uh, maybe as high as five five, uh, depending on the situation. And then there's a dry hop. And Some of that small. could be hop creep, as and then well. There's a, and, I was about, and that's exactly what I was about to say. And then there's a small amount of creep that comes along with that. And yeah, I mean, we have a pretty quick, warm time on these beers of typically around from when we send it into the fermenter about seven days, maybe eight max um, where we dry hop a beer. And then three days later we're crashing that beer and there's, yeah, I think that the, the, just the, the thing that really, at least for us, we've tried to do true active fermentation, dry hopping and, to your point, Jamie, yeah, those the the haze levels on those beers are actually were actually worse, and we also felt like we weren't getting the hop expression. Like, yeah, we got we got fruit and we got some really neat character there, but I didn't. I, it wasn't something that I personally was very excited about. And so, as we continue to move it towards the right at the end of fermentation just enough time to exactly what you said, Vinny, be able to harvest yeast. And then um, something that Kelsey touched on earlier that um, about the Belgian candy sugar and these, these other beers where for us, double, double, I, double IPA and triple IPA um, we're harvesting yeast. We're adding a little bit of sugar and then we're dry hopping at the same time. And man, the amount of, cool things that are happening all at once with being able to do this from having healthy yeast all the time, no matter if we're brewing a triple IPA um, or or a double IPA, like we're going to end up with really good yeast. Uh, we're getting way better st haze stability because we have some activity um, fermenting with those hops. And um, there's this 
aspect of like just dank sort of garlic onion characters that are able to be minimized through that small fermentation that are really that I really like as well. And uh, I feel like I'm missing one thing, but there might be another thing. But all in all, it ends up being really beneficial. Do any do any of you think that you get more and maybe too much of that dank onion garlic quality when you dry hop too early, or are those unrelated? Well, I I think you scrub you know a good amount of that off. I feel like part of that is volatile, but it also is so varietal specific and lot specific because um, we certainly do get that sometimes. But it's it. it tends to be we end up with that character when we've used too much of a variety that is a known contributor of that. And, you know, we try and minimize that by adding those hops later. So, yeah, I I think there is something to adding them too early. How about you, Steve? Yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, like I said, we dry hop kind of cooler, uh, wait till the fermentation is, is complete. Uh, What what temperature is cooler? Uh, 65. Okay. So we're, we're, we're fermenting at, we're fermenting at, uh, 72. Once everything's done, uh, once it's been at terminal for a couple of days, we, we bring it down and we dry hop. Uh, like, like Evan, I don't keep the beers on the, or excuse me, the hops on the beer very long. Uh, we're dry hopping. All of our dry hopping is done over two days in smaller doses. So we dry hop day one, dry hop day two, uh, make sure everything passes a sensory test. Once it passes sensory tests, we start we start the cold crash process. So usually it's the hops are not on the beer any longer than five days before they're put in the bright. Um, I think if if hops sit on beer for too long, that's when you start kind of pulling some of those some of those flavors you don't want. Yep. And I also I also think it goes like what Kelsey was saying. Um, you know that's why you have to sensory your hops before. You put them in. I mean, if you smell a bag of hops and you're rubbing it and it smells like garlic and onion, it's going to smell like garlic and onion in your beer. Don't use, you know, save that for the hot side. Hey, save that, uh, for, save that for your spaghetti sauce. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. So, you know, we always make sure that, you know, everything smells right uh, before they before they go in. Um, if the hops smell good, then we uh, drop them. If not, we usually hold those. If those, those Sometimes those hops, sometimes it has that smell. We just keep it for the hot side. And use it in the whirlpool. So it sounds like you you don't lager your, you know, or condition your uh, hazy IPAs that long. You get them out, and you found that balance that you don't get a lot or if any hot burn on the on the back end. Right. Yeah. It just comes through that whole process of you know from from grain bill all the way through. Um, and <clears throat> no, like I said, we we're probably grain to canning and. I mean, just because we have to, uh, probably 14 to 15 days, we're turning, we're turning those beers around. Uh, we have a lot of tanks. So we have uh, 10, excuse me, nine seven-barrel tanks, one 10-barrel tank, six 15s, and three 30s. And we don't have a lot of brights. <laughs> so we got we to gotta get beer. We got to get beer canned and, and, uh, and then get those brights open to get the beer in because – I do not like leaving our beer on the hops for very long at all. I like I like doing this like seven day 
cold on the hops. Like I feel like there's yeah. like this development that happens, at least for me, that uh, I feel like the beer is halfway there when we have it, say, warm at our 68 degrees or whatever else, and then we crash the beer to 32 on these beers. Um, and then, you know, I, I want the beer to sit for seven days and then we're we're going through our transfer. But I feel like they're like – it's not until we're then going to transfer it to where I'm like, yeah, that's like where it needs to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I cut you off there. Sorry, Benny. No, no, no. I was, I mean, just, Kelsey, I was going to ask both of you. You're just, you've been speaking so much. I was going to let Kelsey get it word in edgewise. I love you, Evan. Jamie uh, loves that, dude. Look at him. Look at Jamie. He's turning red. I was holding on to that line in my yeah. head, Vinny, and you just beat me to it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, I mean, seven days is a, is a good amount for most breweries out there for IPA. So, Kelsey, where are you at on that conditioning side? Yeah, I mean, unlike... Uh, Evan and Steve, uh, we're at a bit of a disadvantage because our, our brewery is set up as a, you know, unitank only, um, anything that we've got on the, the, you know, non unitank side or serving tanks. And we can't package off of those, uh, because of the temperature and we don't have a counter pressure canning line. So, um, when we're working with our schedule and, uh, trying to figure out, you know, when we're going to package, um, we tend to brew, um, most of our tanks are on a three week turn, um, where we're packaging every Monday. So the hazy IPAs, because of the contact time concern, um, are getting brewed, uh, with more of like a 17 day tank residency. So we, we tend to brew hazy IPA toward the end of our week. Uh, when we've packaged off several tanks and we're refilling them. Um, and then, uh, you know, we do tend to do early dry hop um, when we harvest yeast, like the day of. And that usually is something that's not going to contribute a big polyphenol hit. So, you know, trying to avoid hop burn, you know, we're using a concentrated pellet at that point so that we're not sitting on a bunch of leaf matter that's going to give you that, you know, grassy intensity, uh, and, you know, forward thinking for additional hop additions, whether we're double dry hopped or triple dry hopped, um, those additions are happening, you know, much later in that second week, um, where, you know, it's going to sit on those hops and we're dumping the cone every day. Uh, and you know, we haven't walked through the whole dry hop process Sh exactly, shaving. but, you're shaving the cone. Yeah, shaving. Yeah, we're totally shaving the cone. Shaving the cone. Damn it, Kelsey, totally we've already gone through this. Uh, yeah, we have a vernacular for this, I know. you got to um, shave it, dude. got to shave it, yeah. Um, you know, you're getting the yeast <laughs> out, you're getting the hops out. But, uh, yeah, we, we don't want to be sitting on a bunch of hop material. So as much as with our limitations of our cellar, we're trying to mitigate this, you know, extended contact time on hops. Um, you know, after we're doing our, our, you know, final charge of, of any T90s and, you know, also, um, to just kind of mix this in, uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, haze coming from certain Southern hemisphere varieties on the hot side. I mean, that largely, uh, from what I understand is derived from polyphenols. And so, you know, that is your hot burn source. You know, anything that's contributing haze is going to contribute some element of, of harshness when it is polyphenol. 
Um, so, you know, we want to, we want to introduce that as late in the dry hop as pro as possible, especially on our system, knowing that, uh, we're going to have to sit on some amount of those hops through the entire duration of our tank time. So if I'm using a bunch of Nelson or, you know, uh, especially anything from Australia, um, galaxy, you know, enigma, that type of stuff, fixed secret, I want. I want our warm beer in contact with those hops for the shortest amount of time. And when we're crashing that out, I want to be dumping those out of that tank as quickly as possible. Um, but we do a research step, uh, to resuspend everything. Um, you know, before we are, uh, doing a final crash. Um, and our tanks are outfitted with a tangential recirculation port on the upper body. Um, where we're coming out of the cone, you know, spinning the tank and, you know, it whips around. You can, you can actually hear the vortex going on inside the tank. And, uh, I, I feel like with our limited cellar conditions, those tanks are the best possible tank to be able to get everything to drop down into a tight, you know, formation in the cone and be able to remove, um, you know, the hot material from the tank. So, yeah. I mean, it, we're make, kind of making the best of what, what we have to work with. If I could go into a bright and package off of it, if I had an extra 20, 20 square feet of my cellar to, to do that, I would, but, uh, I don't, I don't have that luxury right now. Was there more there from Steve? Um, for that, like, yeah. So as far as our process, uh, like I said, we soft crash to 65, uh, another another thing that we do is we close the tank. Uh, probably we close the tank probably two to three days before final gravity is going to be hit, and we and we build some natural uh, pressure in the tank, a little bit of natural carbonation. Um, and the reason that we do that is that we dry hop everything under pressure. So I have like a hop cannon on top of my on top of the fermenter. We load 11 pounds of hops at a time, CO2, purge it, bring it up to the pressure of the tank, open it, and it shoots it in. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's awesome. So that way, like Kelsey was saying, how he recirculates his tank, I kind of like to let the hops – I feel with this style, you just want to be as gentle as possible. And I think by building some of that natural carbonation, I think maybe the carbonation inside – this is just my theory. Uh, the hops get in there, and it just helps move everything around – and and get it get the extraction better i mean we have seen uh times where we forget to close those tanks and we put we, we dry hop you know bigger and it's just there's not as good it's just the, the hop expression aroma and flavor is just not as good well um, i will say that like uh to add on what you're talking about from my experience if we are not we so uh, we're similar in dry hopping techniques to where we're not recirculating these tanks but um if we don't put some pressure on the tank to push these hops from this like sort of pad lily pad that like forms on the top of the tank and if we're not like putting some positive pressure on that pushes all in, into the beer then i'm in the same boat like there's two things that, are, that I've experienced that happen on there. One is the first thing you said where the hop intensity is not what you wanted it to be. And you're just kind of nosing the glass and going like, where 
Right. Where are we where's at the here? Aroma? Yeah, where's the aroma? Where's the flavor? Um, but the other thing that I find really interesting too is that if you're not getting those hops incorporated at that time, we've seen just this like pretty like this dank kind of garlic onion thing like rise up to where like all the hops that were sitting in there and this sort of that were in my mind earlier on were just kind of slowly like you know drifting down into the tank uh instead once you put that positive pressure and you start crashing the tank you're now doing a cold dry hop on these tanks and that's where uh we started to see some danker uh, beers out of what that is when i'm personally looking for this nice fruit expression i'm also looking for you know i look i like the, the kind of resiny kind of like deep cannabis sort of character i think that's absolutely wonderful but i'm just personally trying to stay away from the garlic onion character but i think that i don't know i just find that part of things pretty interesting just getting those hops incorporated really changes the overall profile for the uh beneficially and, yeah, and I mean, evan remind us remind us evan you're you talked about this on the west coast ipa podcast but it, you had a certain like procedure of 15 psi for yeah so much just an hours hour or day. Okay. Yeah. Just what, I mean, just one hour for us. And like, you know, we've done so many, we've done this enough times to where like earlier on, we would look inside of the tank first, we would see this lily pad of hops sit, sitting up there and then we would put the positive pressure on there. And then, uh, an hour later, vent, start venting the tank back open, uh, into the blow off bucket. And then we get back on a ladder and just take a look inside opening up that dry hop port. And those hops have been pushed in. I mean, you could pull it from the sample valve and see that those hops have been pushed in and it, man, it made a world of a difference. Do you see any hops still at the top or are they all in the liquid at that, after that hour? Yeah, they've been, they've been pushed in at that point, but you have to give, I mean, at least for us and what we're doing, what we'll do is we dry hop at the end of the day and then we do it. We push the hops into the beer the the following morning because there's a, a time period where you kind of have to, at least in our experience, these, these hops need to get saturated with the liquid and then once that's there then they can actually get pushed in otherwise nothing has happened for us whenever we've tried to do it earlier yeah and i think this is something that doesn't get talked about enough and i don't know that there's an industry standard or not i think maybe each hop processor has their own but that comes down to hop density Mm -hmm. and you know how they're pelleted and and it's it's probably something that would be a cool research project for hop quality group or someone else to really start looking at density and and i know of some brewers that have a very specific uh density of their hop pellets um that they call out but you know i think for most of us we're getting whatever our purveyor broker you know whatever their their standard is wait you can request lower density hop pellets i i do know of a brewer that has a very specific density and i'm sure there's more than one um but yes yeah that they they're you know doing their own hop blends and they're taking them to a broker or some that'll pellet third party and they're saying yeah this is the density i want and wow um, and they figure it out whatever it is i'm sure it took them a while to figure it out but yeah you you can do that yeah if, softer if, pellet, if you pellet. if you have the right relationship and and whatnot and whatever your situation is but yeah like you said evan i mean a hard pellet is just gonna i mean i think some i don't be probably all seen it where you 
you know, you dump a cone, you shave a cone, and there's still almost like dry pellets full, yeah. down there, full pellets. And, you know, and then the flip side is is something that's just powder and, you know, give, give Yakima Chief a lot of credit for figuring out the density of the cryo, the early Luplin powder, you had added it and it just hung at the top, but, yep. you know, figured it out over time and, and now it, it sinks like a regular, a regular pellet as, as I'm sure all the other hop companies have figured out over time as well. Should, should we talk about some of the impacts that uh, Steve was hinting back at the you know first 20 minutes of the podcast about uh, you know some of the impact uh, of uh, individual hops um, you know both on color on you know the texture of the beer of haze stability and then uh, also in this kind of broader creative realm flavors that become you know complementary that work within this kind of you know fruit flavor expectation um and then of course you know hops from different origins that are creating different stories for you out of these beers um let's talk a little bit about that why don't, why don't you start on this one kelsey since you know evan already talks a lot <laughs> it's so um, good <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> uh I feel like Citra is, you know, kind of the, that's, that is, you know, the foundation point for a lot of these beers. Um, Citra goes so well with the ester profile of, you know, the yeast strain that we're working with. I I feel like that um, creates a canvas that we can, you know, kind of layer on things to go in any sort of, you know, different composition. Um, And, you know, it, it lends well to, you know, interesting varieties that might be fruity, you know, tropical that are Pacific Northwest or, you know, even stuff that we might, you know, sprinkle into a recipe like Hallertau Blanc, uh, you know, can add some really interesting character. Um, you know, going down into the Southern Hemisphere is like an always decision for a lot of these beers where, you know, a lot of that, you know, rich style tropical fruit character we're going to get from, you know, Nelson and Motueka and, uh, you know, um, you know, nectar on a little bit, you know, some of the, some of these hops, you know, uh, we find that where they might be, uh, you know, 50% charge in a West coast IPA end up, you know, being kind of, a you know, 10%, uh, accent note on a hazy IPA because they're just so, um, overbearing, uh, in, in what they provide. Um, and so it's, it's kind of the, what complements the citra a lot of the time. Um, and then, you know, thinking so about when there's the, a lot of, a lot more bitterness in the beer, it can handle some of those more intense Southern hemisphere flavors versus these softer, fruitier, where that, that's a larger correct. percentage. They just have much more impact. Yeah. And I, and I think at that point we're, we're not looking at, you know, um, sort of, uh, you know, when we were talking about bitterness being, I guess, a bit of an aggressive element, um, something that has a very aggressive, intense, you know, kind of uh, rough course, uh, you know, kind of hop character that that a West Coast IPA wants. Um, we can sprinkle in a little bit of that into a hazy IPA and add some nuance and texture and interest without um, completely, you know, um, smothering the soft, you know, mango-esque fruity notes of that, that kind of citra, you know, backbone. And that isn't to say that we'll always, you know, go that direction. We've done plenty of concept beers where uh, it's like, okay, well, 
I don't have a flowable uh, version of this hop. I want to do a very, you know, um, Southern Hemisphere focused beer. I want, you know, huge Nelson presence, you know, and, you know, maybe I want to use some Mercau or something that's going to give me some fruit punch or something. And, and I'm just trying to like layer in, you know, a variety of, of flavor that's going to be complementary to that ester profile. Um, that's, that's kind of, you know, in a nutshell, uh, you know, how I'm, I'm looking at these hops and, and what they're going to bring to the table. Steve, you build a kind of a common baseline through Jasper and then, uh, you know, throw different iterations on it. And that lets you understand what, uh, you know, what these other hops provide within the context of this thing that you understand. It's a, it's a pretty common brewer, you know, tactic to, to kind of, you know, use one core hop and then, you know, riff off of it with other hops. Um, you know, talk to, talk to us about your process around uh, building these hop combinations. Um, I mean, I gotta agree with Kelsey that, uh, Citra is, Citra's a big, a lot of, of what, what we do. Uh, Jasper's all not, Citra. Not a hot take here. I mean, this is, yeah. <laughs> not a hot take. Not, not a hot take at all. Um, you know, it's just one of those hops that I feel it's just, it's just perfect for this style. Cause it's a great, like Kelsey said, it's a great baseline to give you all that, all that flavors that you want. And it, to me, it plays well with, like, I can't think of one hop. It doesn't really play well with in this style. Like it just plays well with everything. Uh, so that's like, you know, obviously big with us. Uh, New Zealand hops. Uh, we use a lot of those. Um, they're actually my favorite hops out there at this time and point i think the flavor and i think the uh expression of these hops at this time and point right now is just it's just over the top um it's just you know it's i haven't really found any hops right now that match that uh you know nelson is nelson being one of them nelson is a hop that we use a lot uh i think you know that's one of the hops that people really when we make nelson beers people really you know those sell out pretty quick for us um just in our process, I think it really – we get a lot of people that are like, ah, I don't like Nelson, and then they have our beer, like, I actually like this. <laughs> it's because there's a this lot of is, citra in it too. <laughs> no, 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 we no, we don't we, – we have beers that just are all – I mean, all, like, if you look at – well, Jasper with Nelson is, is you know, those, that's probably one of my favorite beers that we that we make. <clears throat> it's just uh, – it's just – that Citra Nelson combo, like that's a great, you know, Citra Galaxy, Citra Nelson. I mean, those are. What's the combo look like for you? Is it fifty fifty, or do uh, you know? Do you do you gear it differently for I, different hops? I, I I gear it differently for different hops. So, um, Yakima Chief has this great chart. It's a survivable compound chart, and I recommend that any yeah any uh, brewer, anybody look at that because it really it, we really like changed our recipes of what hops go where. Uh, you know, what hops go on the hot side, what we, we stick with the dry hop. Uh, so let's, let's just take a, you know, Jasper Nelson. It's probably hot side. It's just Citra. And then it's a 50, 50 split of, uh, Citra and Nelson, but Nelson's a great hot side hop. I mean, phenomenal hot side hop, uh, Motueka, phenomenal hot side hop. Um, what else is there? Really the peacherine that you sent to all of us was uh yeah, that, yeah, i thought yeah. that one i drank that the other night like that was really pretty spectacular also yeah that's so i found with that hop um less is more with that mm. hop 
I think it's a great accent hop. So for that beer that you had, it was again all citra, all citra base, and then that was probably about seventy percent citra dry hop and thirty percent uh, peacherine. Hmm. But the color on that that peacherine makes the color is just fantastic, fantastic with the uh, with that galaxy peacherine citra. Um, what else? Raquel, another one of my favorite hops. Uh, I'm kind of rambling right now, so if anybody else wants to, <laughs> Evan, Evan, are you a big Citra focused hazy IPA no. brewer as well, or not? No, we don't. We don't use it. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I, I mean, it's just so funny, dude. It's yeah. like this is like uh, I feel like talking to Czech brewers about what kind of hop they're using in their pilsner where it's like hey what are you using and they're like hey i'm gonna let you in on a little secret it's size <laughs> and you're like oh size and so yeah i feel like that's uh i couldn't agree more and i was uh gonna say almost exactly the same things that both of these guys said where it's just like you know citra to me is the quintessential hop for hazy ipa i mean the way that it combines with the peach character from the yeast strain that we use to have this mango really bright mango peach sort of character along with a good amount of citrus as well i mean there's nothing that i think hits quite like that so yeah we almost have a rule for just about every beer needs to be 50% citra um, so, for it for it to so, for, it, for it to be like you know what we want it to be let me ask you all of you this if you were making a new hazy IPA recipe you can't use citra and you can't use mosaic and you can't use strata what's your base hop oh nelson nelson yeah <laughs> nelson 100 all right. Are you you guys both on Nelson too? Because that's like all of you at the same time. That's good. Hands down, I would go Nelson because, like, uh, I mean, our my favorite beers that we make uh, on the hazy IPA front as well. uh, You know, Steve, I echo what you said a lot. I mean, the Citra Nelson combo, Nelson by itself, but like, I really love. You know, one of the beers that uh, I sent you guys is a beer that we do called Swim Test this uh double dry hopped hazy triple ipa that's a um seven and a half pound per barrel dry hop and that is i want to say anywhere from 75 to 80 percent um citra and then the rest of it's nelson just this like little sprinkle it might even be less it might be 15 percent. i wish i had my notes with me right now and uh on that specific beer but um that combo to where it's not getting say full petrol it's not getting uh in regards to the nelson it's not bringing too much of that sort of new zealand fresh tennis ball sort of like character and instead it's just like bringing in and highlighting just enough pineapple um with the combination of flavors to where kind of uh yeah ends up reminding me a little of this like uh cactus cooler sort of thing which is truly a socal thing cactus cooler 
Oh, yeah. Steve's not going to know what Cactus Cooler is. No. I don't think Jamie probably knows what Cactus Cooler is. Oh, what? Oh, oh no. That's a, that's a truly Southern California because I'm from Temecula, as you guys know. I, I grew up with Cactus Cooler, but probably 90, yeah, most people listening to this, unless they're from Southern California, it's a like, uh, orange is pineapple that? soda. Yep. And it's uh, so good. Oh, man. I grew up on that shit. I and did it's too. just like, uh, yeah, you know. That's so funny. I didn't realize that the rest of the world wasn't no. drinking cactus cooler yeah. six pack at a time as a, yeah. you know, a teenager, but yep. you know, I digress. Yeah. So, so I, I think that's really interesting that you all said Nelson. Um, is that for you, Evan, is that Nelson on the hot and cold side? We'll do both for sure. I mean, you know, cause the similar to what both of these other guys are up to, I mean, we're, just constantly rotating through different beers and it's and it's fun for i feel like everybody involved maybe other than me because i have to continue to come up with new recipes all the time and new labels and names and all these other sort of things and then new processes that i have to teach the brewers but at the same time i get i get really excited about every single one of these process uh these projects to where it's like let's make let's make something new like let's try something new hey i listen to this on a podcast i don't need to wait six months for that next sort of turn in the production calendar. And instead um, I figure out our brew schedule, hopefully by Friday, the week before we brew it. Uh, And so (laughs) there's a constant rotation of things. And so, yeah, I, um, I think that uh, that is where all of this, you know, continues to get fun. But Nelson on the cold side is my personal favorite, but when it comes to, I mean, West Coast, I really like West. I really like Nelson Whirlpools for sure. I mean, that's absolutely wonderful. But I don't know. I mean, just put Nelson on anything, and I'll and I'll probably eat it. Is there some way that you uh, some citric characters that you look for? Um, obviously, selection. You guys are you know still pretty small. Maybe not you as much, Evan. But um, you know, are, are there certain characters that you look for in the citra? that you use, that you, uh, you know, that you pull, that you, that you consistently go for, because, you know, we say Citra, that's a core, but there's also a range to Citra within the hop itself. And there are some Citras that you're going to really love. And there's probably some Citras that you don't love as much. Who's up, Kelsey? Uh, Sure. I'll jump in. Um, I mean, for our scale, um, we're obviously limited to what gets put on the selection table. We're all um, limited to that, by the way. Well, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> so like, when, 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 when we go up to Yakima Chief and, you know, and select hops, um, we're not solo selecting because we're, we're small, you know, we're, you know, we're, we, we did less than 3000 barrels this year and we'll, we might do a little bit north of that, um, you know, in the next 12 months. Uh, so we, we just don't have the capacity to have like a massive selection of lots. And, you know, usually we're presented with three and if there's not one in there, that's really great. They might give us a fourth. So, I mean, you know, the first, the first part of selection with any hop is, you know, well, let's get rid of the, the high notes that are negatives, you know, and then we're looking for, you know, out of what's left, um, you know, I, with citra i'm always trying to find a little bit of mango in there but i that's that's about as elusive as the you know blueberry mosaic 
Um, you know, they, they exist, but you're probably not going to get it presented to you. So, you know, looking past that, it's like, well, which one has the bright citrus, which one's not throwing a bunch of OG, you know, which one has like, you know, nice niceties to it, you know, that, um, are, we're going to assume because we don't one, we don't know when the spale is going to get processed into pellets. Um, and when it does, uh, is it going to have, you know, aged, you know, significantly and, and altered its condition. There's just too many unknowns. So, I mean, for where, where we're able to select, we're always looking for, you know, eliminate the negatives and pick the best lot. Um, Are you an early or a late harvest Citra when you can, when you're selecting? Oh, that's a good or question. Or picking window, I should say. No, no, I should go, I should look at that uh, a little bit tighter and kind of see what we've picked the last few years. Cause I, I feel like the last few years is when we've gotten more and more consistent with what we're trying to target just based on raw sensory. Um, but uh, I can't, you know, can't answer the question until I look at the data. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll make a note to, to follow up. <laughs> Steve, do you do selection? Yeah. Yeah. We actually go through a lot of Citra. <laughs> I've been, as we've done selection for two years. Um, <clears throat> the, the Citra that we look for, uh, the Citra I'll say that I selected this year that I've really been searching for. I guess when you buy more, you get better lots, I guess. <laughs> but, um, hey, I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's that. I think as much as anything, it's, you know, <laughs> It's kind of timing too. It's a bit yeah, like, yeah. you know, being in the IPA category at a beer you know, competition. Like there's a lot of really good IPA out there. And sometimes it's just a matter of like, you know, who you end up on the table with. And, you know, to some degree, yeah, yeah. it's the first man to the moon. But um, <laughs> I also think some of it is just timing and, and whatnot. So. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I say that like, you know, joking, when just, but, I know. Yeah. But it's, uh, no, we work with, uh, Yakima Chief, uh, they do a fantastic job. Um, so we go up to this year. We found this beautiful lot that was mango, but it was sweet orange. I mean, just sweet orange. And it was, I was, we kept going around. But I mean, there is lots that do have that onion garlic, and we don't want that. Um, <clears throat> so, and I would say for my pick window, I kind of find myself going a little bit later. Um, so Yakima Chief stopped by the brewery and they put me in this like blind sensory test and they didn't tell me what hop I was smelling. They didn't tell me the pick win window and they just had me go around and just, just smell all these lots from all these farms. And I come to find out, I really do not like early pick. <laughs> like that was the one that I, and I'd loved all late pick. And, uh, I don't know. I just like, I like late pick. I like, uh, I like high oil content. I mean, that's very important when we look for it. What did um, the early uh, Citra contribute that you didn't like personally? Obviously, grass, it's, okay. Grassiness. There was just in every single one of them, it was grassy, and I, and every lot, I, I would just be like, ah, it's grassy. And then uh, the gentleman that was giving me the sensory test, he just laughed. He'd be like, "Damn, dude!" <laughs> He's like, you know. So it was like we had to rate each lot one through one through uh, three, and and every one was the same order. It was always, you know, late was my favorite, then then target, and then early was not. I, I remember, my Steve, favorite. the day when Natalie and I had that epiphany moment of like, we know what Simcoe, we like Simcoe's our top yeah. hop. And, uh, and like, that was a magical moment. And maybe the same for you, because suddenly you know 
what your lane mm-hmm. is for Citra, for you, Simcoe, for us, right. whatever it is for anyone else. And it, it's a good feeling to know that you know, and it takes a long time to learn it uh, yeah. sometimes too. Yeah, no, that's it's, such it's a nice. cool side-by-side that you were able to take part in because I, I, yeah. I talk about this with our customers often to where – they might not like they may, may not know what hop varietal they like or don't like or whatever else um and they might not be able to articulate it but all they know is they smell it and they taste it and they go thumbs up or thumbs down and so to be to have the opportunity to be able to instead like have this learning lesson and be like cool this is yeah. uh me coming out on the other side like knowing a little bit more about this process is wonderful yeah because now when i when i go to select Next year, I can say, "Hey, I'm looking for late harvest. I'm looking for this oil," and then they can really they can really narrow down. You know, instead of putting stuff on the table that I'm just going to reject anyway. Now I get four or five lots that are prime for for my liking, for what I want, for my, you know. And so that's just really, I mean, you know, as we keep doing this, you, you just learn and you learn what you like in your beer, and it just, you know. And plus, too low to Kelsey's point about, you know. When you smell it, does that hop translate into the beer? And that's always like a fear of mine. You know, like, oh, it smells great on the table, but is it going to translate in that uh, beer? That's and, the hardest. That's the hardest part yeah. about our our this this game for us. Um, and I'm sure Vinny's experienced it too many times too, where it's just like you do a rub on a hop and you're like, oh yeah, I'm getting that. <laughs> like like you're in Yakima, you know, uh, and you go by some of these other. Uh, suppliers, at least I, that's what I try to do when I'm in town, and then I'm and I'm just like, all right, yeah, what do you got? Oh, we got this new hop, and you rub it, and you're like, oh, that's what I want. Yeah, let me get let me get two thousand pounds, okay, wonderful. <laughs> and then like you go to another place, yeah, 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 I'll make it four. Why not? And then like, man, I've just gotten burned on that whole thing enough times <laughs> to where like I just like you know it's like being in Vegas, you know, you're just like, all right, take my money off the table, I'm walking away, like right. because uh, you need to get that hop into beer, you know, and, and see how it expresses before, uh, you can go all in. Right. Yep. So if we see you at the roulette table at CBC this year, <laughs> go the other direction. Watch okay. yeah, watch I love out. roulette. I, I absolutely love gambling. I'm not good at it, but I love doing it. I have a $200 limit. I used to be 100. So I've upped it to 200 and I'm feeling pretty baller about that. Business must be good. $200 limit, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for my once a year gambling opportunity where I'm like, all right, okay, I got to make the night last. And then uh, once I lose a hundred, I stop for a while, you know, start drinking Negronis, you know, and then, and then, and then, you know, get some, get some liquid courage. And then I jump back in to lose another hundred dollars. I, I went to Vegas last year, didn't gamble once. And uh, I suspect that's going to be the story this year too, uh, when I'm back there. But uh We'll see how it all goes. We've been talking for a while now. I, one other thing I want, one topic I wanted to get to before we close here is, uh, you know, the question of basically, you know, gravity and scale and hazy IPA. Um, you know, I, I think when we look at what hazy IPA is, there are, you know, as, as you mentioned, Evan you used to make a lot of triple IPAs, a lot of double IPAs. It felt like this intensity level, whereas we might like a single, you know, uh, West Coast IPA because it's drinkable and it's crisp and, uh, you know, and finishes pretty dry and we can drink a bunch of them, but also get that hop fix. When it comes to hazy IPA, there's almost, you know, for a lot of its history, 
that double IPA was probably a better hop expression and uh, captured that intensity, maybe more, you know, the possibility in those hop flavors more so than a hazy pale ale or, you know, a hazy single IPA. Um, where do you, you know, but at the same time, we're also watching consumer behaviors change. You know, we're also seeing weird things happen, like people buying double IPAs to take home but not drinking them on premise. Like strange mix, strange mixes of of draft versus package that don't uh, track in the same way that they might have used to. You know, in sense, in the sense, what do you you know talk about? You know how these gravities impact the you know the beers themselves, the the expressions of these flavors, um, and where you see you know consumers, customers today. Uh, gravitating towards to use an incredibly dad pun in all of this. Um, so I, I think you're hundred percent right. When you talked about people uh, buying cans to take home, like the double IPA and triple IPA um, that's a hundred. I mean, we, I see that now that we have the top room, the top room has been open for uh, since July and it's like a triple IPA keg will sit there for a little while, you know, but our but our lager, we fly through lager, we fly through oatmeal stout, we you know uh, low uh, west coast, we, we go through. But can sales, uh, I mean the cans just fly. So we package, well we package more of the 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 bigger beers for for can sales, and then you know less for for draft. Um, but as far as I think my sweet spot for hazy IPA, I think is that eight to eight and a half range. I think that is the perfect, the perfect vessel for the ultimate of flavor, hop expression. Um, I just think that is like that. That is that is it. Um, <clears throat> but you know that you know that being said, you know it's not it's not drink as much in the tap room as as other things. Uh, so we've had to expand. Uh, we do hazy pails. Hazy pails do very well for us. Do very well for us. Five percent. Really. Hazy pails, cool. uh, draft or cans? Uh, both actually. Uh, summertime, we'll I'll do thirty barrel batches of hazy pale, and it's it it goes, it goes. Uh, so that's that's something that's been really good for us because so there's know, some the, kind of the bookend there where if somebody wants a really drinkable, you know, crushable, sessionable, you know, hazy hazy pale. They may yeah. choose that, whereas they're not going to kind of, and then they're if they want that flavor, they'll pop up to double IPA territory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we see a lot of people come in, and their first pour is probably double. They usually get a double, and then after that, it's all it's all low, for, low for for the most part, and they take their cans home. Interesting. So. You you seem to be agreeing on that one, Evan. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're in the. I mean, we're in a similar boat for sure. I mean, we were looking at like uh, triple IPA numbers. Uh, within the last couple of weeks. And it's just so funny. I mean, like we're doing like 10% or maybe, yeah, I think 10% is all is draft and 90% of it is cans, you know, like people are coming in and having a triple IPA um, at the place or at our, at our spot is, is just way less popular than grabbing a four pack of, you know, 10% ABV beer and just taking it home. And I, I, I absolutely respect that choice. I think that's a, that's a solid move. Um, but yeah, I'm with, uh, I'm with Steve, uh, for sure. I mean, like, I think 
these beers lend themselves to a little bit higher ABV and hazy single IPA, if that was the only thing that exists, would exist, like it just isn't big enough and it doesn't isn't sort of juicy enough for like to create the craze that this is all created. And um and instead, yeah, once we're jumping into double triple categories um or territory, it's just yeah, it's so rich, it's so intense, and it's like it just truly feels like something you've never had before if you've if you've never had a, a beer like that uh made by you know Fidens or north park you know and so it's pretty pretty fun how about you kelsey i mean I, i'm not gonna say a whole lot different from from what Stephen evan said uh you know it, it it does tend to tip a scale and i i mentioned this in the open opening comments uh, where the lower ABV versions tend to be the ones that people will consume. You know, our guests will drink more of those in our tap room. Um, and, you know, uh, they may buy uh, a reasonable amount of that in package. But um, when we go to those higher ABV double, triple IPAs, um, you know, if we've got a few of them available, they'll, the, the typical guest that wants to take those home is going to buy a four pack or two. Um, and they're going to try a five ounce pour while they're there. And, you know, our, I mentioned that our, you know, best selling beer, if we amalgamated all the different artists hards would be that beer and hazy IPA, you know, hop food being the, the second place to that, um, West coast, uh, our, our overall product mix on draft is about, you know, uh, a third hazy, a third West coast and a third lager. Um, and when you look at the can sales, like the, the high gravity hazy IPAs just fly and, uh, you know, everything else kind of tapers towards the lager on the package. So it's, it, it, it's a different experience for a different time is what our guests are telling us. You know, it's like, I want to drink these big, rich, intense, fruity, you know, hazy IPAs, uh, high gravity stuff. I want to drink them at home. Um, or with my friends or something that not at your tap room, but boy, am I going to crush a bunch of loggers when I'm there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We do yeah. it the same. I mean, we're in this, we're in the right. same boat. I mean, logger draft, uh, we have a seltzer that is the only flagship that we have at our brewery. It's and lemonade. And that, that thing's 20 to 25% of our sales every week. Um, <laughs> just like, you know, just crushes and it, uh, you know, working on more, more seltzer flavors, but it's like we, um, you know, we're a house of West Coast IPA, lager, um, hazy IPAs, and um, the seltzer, and it just, yeah. Um, but it's interesting, like you know, to to Kelsey's point, like those can take homes are just absolutely the path uh, for what those are, and we we don't rely on draft sales of those of those beers too much. Other than hazy single IPA, uh, is sort of the opposite for our brewery. Does really well on draft and um, not necessarily a lot of people. Uh, those are some of our lower can numbers whenever we're doing canning runs. And then I've got one more question on that uh, on that double IPA side. That ratio of finishing gravity to general bitterness probably calculated since you know not everyone's testing these things. What's that? you know, what balance, what, is there a, you know, a range there that you, that you really find works well in these? I think people have this perception of these being sweeter than they are. 
And especially as I taste all of, of your beers through, you know, all three of your beers through this, um, you know, they, they come across as having more, you know, more structure to them than, uh, than I think is commonly acknowledged. Um, you know, so maybe we can finish on that. Is there some, some sort of balance that you try to find through that finishing gravity to, to bitterness? And knowing that this bitterness is a weird one to calculate since so much of it is, is pushed in, uh, even added through the cold side. Yeah, that, that was exactly what I was going to say is that we don't know what bitterness contribution we're getting from all this polyphenol character on paper. Like I can plug a recipe into, you know, software and say, okay, it's got 10 BUs. And when I'm putting in my bitterness addition on the hot side, I'm thinking about that is a stable you know, piece of bitterness that sure it's going to drop off over time, but hopefully somebody's drinking this beer within, you know, 30 to 60 days. Um, you know, that would be the ultimate, I, you know, I don't want somebody sitting on this for too long, but finishing gravity, when we get to above that, like eight and a half percent, you know, it, when we're at eight and a half percent or up, I'm looking at, you know, 4.6 to 4.8 Play-Doh. And I'm looking at, you know, beyond that, if there's an alcohol sweetness contribution, that's continuing to carry forward any perceived sweetness as it gets stronger. I don't want to add more, you know, body in, uh, dextrins. I don't want to add, you know, more to the, to the composition, um, through some unfermented, you know, uh, sugars. So that's, that's kind of where I go. And I'm curious to see, um, you know, what Evan and Steve have to say about that. And so you, you're, I can't remember, you're not using chit malt or you are. No, we've, we've been using chit, um, since our first collab with Steve, because he, he opened my eyes to, to what I think is a really wonderful, uh, you know, kind of pillowy element to, uh, to the style. Steve, you're next. Sure. For uh, double IPA, uh, probably around four Play-Doh we, we finish at, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of where we, where we like it. Uh, we get any higher than that, we get around that, you know, <clears throat> I'll say that though, but our hazy pails, our hazy pails, we finish at five Play-Doh. Uh, I like to start those a little higher. You mash a little higher. Uh, it, you know, finishes a little higher. That way I can hop them kind of like a single, you know, so it still gets that nice flavor. But, um, but yeah, so for finishing gravity around, around four, four Play-Doh. Would- or, um, <clears throat> We're getting up a little bit higher than both you guys, around five to five and a half on those beers um, for finishing gravity. Um, I think there's this interesting, uh, maybe I mean, there's something to consider in all of what this information is that we're that we're all spewing out here, which is there's a balance that occurs within all of what these things are that between acidity and sweetness and bitterness, ABV. Um, that ends up creating the thing that we're looking for. And you can't just, you can't just look at one single aspect of this and go like, Oh damn, that's a high finishing gravity. Yeah. Da, 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 da. And instead it's like, well, that's the spot that we've gotten in because we feel like that's the balance that we're looking for. And when you consider the dry hop load, um, you know, for most of these beers and the rest of the little, details that go into it that that's the balance that we've that, that we've created in our beers 
That's why I very specifically asked the question with both of those things, uh, you know, because, right. Because no, I, I think that, uh, you know, looking at any one, one of these numbers, you know, in isolation never tells an entire story. And so totally, uh, totally. Yeah. 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 Finney, did I, did I miss any questions before we uh, wrap this up? Is there anything else on, uh, on your list that you would put together on this? I don't think so. I just had one kind of closing comment that I was just thinking of that harkens back to the West Coast IPA podcast and that how much of our conversation wasn't about hops, just like West Coast IPA. There's so much more about process and procedure and in this case, water, you know, Um, I I just, I always find that really interesting when we, you know, talking about a, a style like this, that's an IPA, but yet there's so much more that goes to it beyond the hops. Yep. Totally it's agree. A, it's especially an interesting piece where like, you know, texture, body, like mouthfeel, you know, all of these things are so important in this style and make or break it, you know, versus just like, you know, just the hop blend and hop selection. Um, so much of that is actually more consistent these days and uh, has, it's almost more settled, right? Because you guys know what works. And then the thing that differentiates truly excellent and world-class are all of these other elements that support those things. And so, you know, the difference between some of these beers that you all have sent that I'm tasting now that have won so many awards or, you know, put you in the top 13 of breweries in the world and untapped, Steve, you know, these are just, uh, you know, I mean, Dude, right? that's nuts. I was looking at that like this week and I was just like, all right, Pally, getting it. Well, we yeah. should say Impressive. Uh, of breweries you, with over a hundred thousand check-ins, he's in the number two spot. Or, oh man, I, well, I, number I was three, at if it. You, you break that down to 50,000 check-ins or more anyway, and you know, um, <laughs> I was, imp- I mean, I was looking at his uh, untapped rating as a brewery, at, I think first, and I was just like, "Holy cow!" Like, we've, I mean, our brewery is never is, is nowhere close to that, uh, and it just and truly impressive, Steve. That's uh, really Thank cool you, to man. get to that that level, man. It's awesome. You know what else is impressive, yeah. Evan? A gold medal from World Beer Cup for wherever yeah. you go, <laughs> like, or or yeah, say back to back silver medals for X Ray, uh, the series that Kelsey has produced at GABF. You know, so there's some definitely some winning going on here, and some excellent iterations within this style. Oh, Evan! Evan's breaking out his best in beer uh, trophies. <laughs> Of course, Vinny's not in their conference room to show you his. <laughs> yeah. um, we it's our w- collection. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, appreciate you all talking to me about Hazy, or talking with our entire audience about your approaches to Hazy IPA. Um, and thank you, Vinny, for helping me co-host this. Choose G&D Chillers on your next expansion or brewery startup and receive one free year of remote control and monitoring. ProBrew's engineering team prides itself on providing true customized turnkey solutions. Old Orchard is the go-to source for fruit-forward ingredients for some of the biggest names in the craft brewing landscape. Omega Yeast Diacetyl Knockout Series is comprised of eight familiar yeast strains engineered to knock out the formation of diacetyl before it starts. ABS Commercial are proud to offer brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and preventative maintenance parts to brewers across the country. Secure your brewery accelerator spot now at breweryworkshop.com. SS Brewtech is dedicated to an engineering-first approach to brewery equipment and powers R&D at some of the world's greatest breweries, uh, present company included. 
Christian Hansen's smart bev range of frozen liquid yeast and freeze-dried bacteria allows for consistent performance and high quality. If you've enjoyed this episode and you want to, uh, say, brew your own iteration uh, or, or reference Steve's recipe for Jasper, double IPA, uh, subscribe to Craft Beer and Brewing. Go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button, and uh, gain access to all of the great recipes that folks have shared. And I was looking at, we, I mean, we have great recipes from North Park and uh, from Green Cheek. They're all West Coast IPAs, though. Maybe we should add, uh, maybe we should add, you know, a hazy IPA recipe in there just uh, just as folks are listening to this uh, in order to con- uh, continue to encourage them to subscribe and support our mission to bring great brewing content to you. I'll uh, I'll hit you guys up on email after this one. Um, Kelsey, if people want to learn more about North Park, where do they find you? Uh, check us out on Instagram at North Park Beer Co. Uh, go to our website, northpark.beer or northparkbeerco.com. Uh, we're on Facebook at North Park Beer Co. Um, yeah, that's the that's the easy. Evan, for Green Cheek, where do they find you all? I mean, you can usually find me at North Park uh, drinking uh, <laughs> one of Kelsey's beers. And so, uh, yeah, I'd, I would go to their tap room and uh, check it out. I, I have a great time there. Uh, they're, I mean, pff, their French fries are incredible. Um, yeah, they're... What else do they have? I mean, last time we were there, the chef whipped up some like Wagyu steak for us. Like, I mean, obviously that was an off item thing, but that was pretty cool. Anyway, uh, greencheekbeer.com uh, at greencheekbeer for Instagram. And we have uh, three soon to be four spots. Um, um, we're adding a spot in Oceanside soon. We're really excited about and um, going to be working with the fucking national treasure that is Jeff Bagby and uh, I couldn't be more excited to collaborate with him on a um, weekly, daily, whatever basis because uh, his, yeah, just absolute legend in every way. Powerhouse powerhouse dream team right there. Steve, if people want to learn more about about Fightins, where do they find you all? Uh, Instagram at Fightins Brewing and fightingsbrewing.com and on Facebook at Fightins Brewing. And Vinny, I think most people know where to find you, but uh, just in case. <laughs> yeah, oh, he's just... at the Green Cheek uh, tap room. Yeah, yeah. Uh... <laughs> I was going to say every Thursday in the Pilot Brewery here in Windsor, which yes! you guys know. So now RussianRiverBrewing.com and Russian River Brewing Official is our Instagram because at some point there was an unofficial that whatever Natalie figured it out so <laughs> anyways it's all good hey I thank you Jamie for including me in this I learned a lot thanks to you uh, you know you guys for spending all this time it was a really fun to co-host it was awesome thank you all thank you all thanks thank you cheers this podcast has been brought to you by craft beer and brewing magazine for those who love to make and drink great beer to learn more or to subscribe visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craft beer brew